0: Black Jack with Griffin and
1: David Black Jack with Griffin and David Don't know what to say or to expect All you need to know is that the name of the show is Black Jack
2: I think she's starting to suspect something Who Your podcast Okay long
1: long break there you, you really took a breath. That was several I did the lean-in. I tried to do yeah. the lean-in. Yeah, 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 yeah. You did, you did the... It's you such You couldn't a change individual. your face.
2: Yeah.
0: And you didn't do it with the southern accent.
1: Your podcast. Your podcast.
0: That line is how I, is how I learned something about Michelle Pfeiffer's range. Because that line, there is like a slight southern accent to that line. A I lilt. guess the girl who died was southern. Because I don't know if it's Amber Valletta's. Character. I, mean, I don't know. If she, I don't think she's southern, and so, but you're supposed to know that it's someone else talking, and it's just one line spoken with that southern lilt. And Michelle Pfeiffer couldn't do it.
2: Well, but then I wonder. See, here's my question. I wonder, is that Amber Valletta doing the line? Could be. I
1: suppose dubbing it over. In. I'm I'm reading that she was raised in Oklahoma, so oh. she. You know, that's hmm. that's the South, right? You know, I know that's sort of a you know,
2: South Midwest, you know, but it's the South.
0: It's even weirder that she can't do a Southern accent then.
2: You know what's even weirder? What's arguably the weirdest? That this was like an $80 million star-driven prestige horror film released in the middle of the summer, and that was the money shot in the trailer. That is the shot that made this one of the 10 highest grossing films of the year, which seems so low-key now.
1: I want to correct you. It, its its budget is listed as a hundred million dollars, which wow. yeah. is I assume everyone just got paid out because yeah, you know it's a very nicely apportioned Wait. movie, but you don't see a hundred million dollars here. No,
0: yeah, because it made triple that. It made three hundred million dollars. Big hit. And, Big fucking hit. Yeah, and it. Um, but I saw that one of the expenses was there were five. The bathroom had five sets. There were five builds of that bathroom. So there could be a bathroom on both coasts. And then I was just like, that's just indulgence. You don't need to build five bathroom sets. It's just a bathtub.
2: That's what this movie feels like. Not not only is everyone getting paid their maximum quote, but also Zemeckis is like, here's how I want to do everything. And I want to do everything in the most extreme control obsessed way.
0: But no, but it didn't feel it didn't feel like the way, it didn't feel like a Kubrick thing. It didn't feel like I need to have the right red door. It felt like we are all at a point in our careers where we need to have e- ultimate comfort. Like the it being yes, on both yes, coasts yes, felt sure, like we yes. can't make anyone inconvenient for a second. And none of our stars can ever not feel comfort. And so we have to build a bathroom set wherever they are happening to be vacationing.
2: The, the other thing is because I feel like now for how big of a hit this movie was, it's not talked about very much. And I think its longest lasting legacy is just, oh, it's the movie shot while Tom Hanks lost weight during right. Castaway. Mm-hmm. And so I was like looking into that, the, the scheduling of the two movies against each other. And it seemed like, unless I'm misreading this, this was an eight month shoot.
0: Wow, it's
2: a long time. Which I mean, also or, or, costs is it, a lot. That costs.
1: Is it, a lot. Yeah. Is it that it was an eight-month shoot, or was it just an eight-month break in between? Like this, did this
2: really take that long to make? That that's no, because this is where I'm trying to figure this out. I believe it was a full year break in Castaway, and this took up eight of those twelve months. That's what I think I read, but it was hard to get that confirmed. It was
0: so little written about it too. I feel like. I, it, yes, it's it's been like erased from history in every way. It seems like no one involved Absolutely. once is, is is invested in its legacy whatsoever.
2: It's almost like this movie went missing and no one mm-hmm. can figure out what happened to it. As if my husband is trying to cover something up by leaving careful clues. I I think it's it
1: doesn't have much of a legacy. Although I don't think it's a disliked movie, right? It's a forgotten I, you know, movie. It, it, It's maybe a little forgotten, considering the size of you know how big a hit it was. But is it also? I mean, no spoilers. But is it also the only movie where Harrison Ford is a villain
2: ever? I I think so. David, you've become incredibly blurry. You look like the poster for Michael Clayton.
0: You look like John Hamm in the Christmas Black Mirror.
2: Yes, at the end of that
0: episode where he gets blocked.
1: Right. I. I. This. I don't know if it's Zoom or my camera, but it has started to do this occasionally. And if I just turn it off and on, it stops. But it just blurs me out as if I am, like you say, worthy of censorship, essentially. Like if I am like <laughs> testifying on CNN, but my yes. voice is going to be really deep and I can't like show my face.
0: It's really disturbing because that it's like, Christmas weird. episode is the most haunting thing I've ever experienced. And I thought you guys were this was the thing that you guys did.
1: That I was, I was being
2: ghostly.
0: Or to like let the other person feel like they had the stage. You just blocked yourself. I don't know how the part, your partnership works.
2: It's constantly evolving. I mean, honestly, like all great marriages, it's constantly evolving. We keep secrets from each other. Um, and we gaslight each other into thinking that uh, the other one is going crazy by assuming that ghosts are real.
0: Did you see this movie when it, like when it first came out?
2: Yes. I saw this movie for the first time last night. Oh, okay. Wow. I, I saw that's it in interesting. theaters. I well, Griff, introduce our podcast. Introduce our guest, and then let's talk about this. No, 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 no. Sorry, don't apologize. That's what we like. We like. Yeah, when we, we like talk it. It's but before but now they're introduced. What's terrifying to us is if a guest is sitting there waiting to come in, and we're going like this. We're coming. That's not me. Not you. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. And it's about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their careers are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they lie beneath baby. And this is mm. a mini on the films of Robert Zemeckis, the famous Bobby Z. And we've gotten to what lies beneath. Uh, a, a, I mean, kind of his biggest clear year. He has two of the 10 top grossing films of the year in 2000. He makes two massive star-driven films that both uh, hit hard. Uh, Castaway, more critically uh, beloved, I feel like has had a longer legacy, although it was not the major Oscar play that people presumed. Uh, This movie, I was surprised. I I had forgotten, kind of trashed by critics at the time. People kind of shrugged it off, but was a huge... Popular success. People dissed it at the time, which...
1: In retrospect, I'm like, if if something like, th- I mean, we we say this all the time on this podcast, but if something yes. like this came out now, critics would be falling over themselves, yeah. being like, yes. he's paying homage to a great director, he like controls the camera, he's
2: got movie stars, and he's deploying them like this is great. Like, why can't Hollywood right. make more of these? It, it stars people over the age of fifty, a studio's releasing right. it on three thousand screens in the middle of July. Like right. everything about the, it would be at the time. To them. Critics are just like we get it, Bobby. You've
1: seen a Hitchcock movie. (laughs) Like they were just like you know jerking off. I mean, it's 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 a clear. And I don't think this movie's a masterpiece, although it has its defenders. But it is the clearest sign of. of, It's a good example of how things have shifted in twenty years.
0: Yeah.
2: No, what are you going to say? I don't know when the talking is supposed to happen. Introduce our guest, Griffin. All times. (laughs) Our guest today. From election profit makers, writer on Search Party, Star Lee Kine, who we said in an ad read we should have on the show. We were thinking out loud. We were doing an ad read for The the Shivering Truth, uh, an Adult Swim show that both you and I were voices on Mm -hmm. Star Lee. And while doing the ad read, we were like, oh, we should have Star Lee on the show. Why haven't we done that? And then we, of our infinite organizational uh, capabilities, never reached out to you. You reached out to us. And said, hey, I heard you guys said on an episode (laughs) that you should have me on the show. I'd love to do the show. We went, oh, yeah. No, that's a good idea.
0: That's the only time I've ever done that. Never done it. But I felt fairly safe because it had been put out it had been put on record
1: it was on the record
0: also shout out to Kat Solon who made who is uh, I know the the Shivering Truth Vernon and Kat Solon just want I know she listened to this show so I want to shout out to her great work
2: very good Kat Solon who rules Uh, Shivering Truth is really really good too we did ad reads for it so then I feel like people are like well you're on the show and you did an ad read you're just shilling for it but I genuinely really like it it's a thing I'm I think it's very cool that I'm part of a small part. It's a, it's a, it's a bug nut show.
0: Surely my part is smaller. I just say like three sounds. I don't even say full words on shivering truth,
2: but you've been on multiple episodes now. I've been on one.
0: I think it, I've been on one. It was the first season. It might even have been the first episode of the first season. And it's literally, I think it's like my bra straps are getting snapped and I'm just making sounds. (laughs) I do not believe I say words.
2: (laughs) Uh, That rules. Um. Well, to be fair, so, I mean, you said this is the first time you've ever asked to be on a show. I think uh, this is the only time we've ever talked through guest booking ideas during an ad read. <laughs> so the honor goes both ways. But I messaged you and I said, would you want to do what lies beneath? And I think your line was, you said, I've only seen it once, but it's the kind of movie I wish I were watching all the time. Mm-hmm. That is
0: true. Yes. Th- that genre of film, yes. I find very relaxing. And it pains me that they're not they're, – they used to be made all the time. And yes. it, the way they used to be made defied critical thinking so that you could just relax and not really care if they were that good. And yes. the predictability is comforting in a Law & Order kind of way. Law & Order the show, not the concept. And Although uh, we love
1: Law & Order. We do. We tweet yes, in the all concept. caps all the
2: time. Law & Order. <laughs> all the time.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, and they don't do these kind of movies anymore. They're very, very few and far between. And um, and I feel feel like that's a loss. And I also think that's why if this one came out, it would get so much of a claim, not because it necessarily deserves it, but because we would just be so excited to have... it. Would, we would be so excited to have a movie like this again, and it would be better than the ones that are made now.
2: Totally. It, I also... I just kept thinking while watching this movie, if this were to be made tomorrow... It would be made for a streaming platform or it would be made independently at a much smaller budget. And it's not to say that couldn't be good, but there's something about like weirdly while you watch this movie and you're like, how did it cost $100 million? You also kind of see the money on screen just with the patience of the movie. Like this movie has the energy of they were given time to do everything very deliberately. And even just the ease of they're relaxed enough because they had four bathtubs made. Mm -hmm. Like, it it comes across in the energy of the movie where you feel like like something like uh, uh, Gerald's Game, the Mike Flanagan movie, like the Mm -hmm. stuff he's been doing for Netflix, is just like, I guess that's like the closest equivalent to like this kind of thing today the, the other horror movies that get released, like the A twenty four stuff, feel more Gonzo, you know.
0: But there's that genre in between because Gerald's game. I watched that hoping, hoping it was going to be like this. And Gerald's game is is kind of it's gross. It has all that stuff that happens. It's grody. that makes it's yeah. so not relaxing. So I didn't feel protected, and it kind of it's ver- too gross. Yeah, it's too gross. I think Netflix has a lot of these that we now know are so bad that we don't even turn them on. There's there are. Theater releases that will have like Jennifer Lopez, maybe. Yes, I feel like I hear about ones coming out, and they're always like the house next door. But I know already yes. that they're not going to be, to be not even at this level, but the level even slightly below this that came out during this time. Well, yes,
1: what was the one with Dennis Quaid? Griff, what oh, was it called? Uh, the Intruder. Like the Intruder. Yeah,
0: they're all that. Right. Right, screen they're screen Gems releases. There are a and lot of cash. Right.
1: And, and it was made for like $8 million. Like, you know, they yes. they made that as cheaply as they could, as quick as they could. They had some, like, name actors in it or whatever. But, like. It's also
0: why I think Invisible Man got, like, high. Invisible Man is the equivalent of this that got yes. better reviews than I think the movie actually was. But it is really I good would agree with that. considering we have not had anything like that in so long.
2: Yeah, and, and that it also is a movie that, like,. It, its power comes from suggestion in the same kind of way. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like baked into the whole premise, but it's all about the lingering fear and building the anticipation. And I don't know. I mean, I just feel like watching this last night, it's like the versions of this that are made today, whether they're the Screen Gems version where it's just going to be a lot more briskly cut, a lot more jump scares. They don't want to mm-hmm. build this way sort more of... Jumps. Way more jumps and way more, like, loud noises jumps, not just the classic, you know, pet jump, you know, right? Like a door moving or whatever. Right, and even, like, the Netflix version of this would not be comfortable with this much silence, would rely a lot Mm. more on close-ups just because they know people are watching it on a smaller screen. Like, this is a movie that weirdly has the consciousness of, we hope that a sold-out crowd is going to see this on the biggest possible screen in the middle (laughs) of July. I, I saw this movie when I was 14 years old on a big screen and it was
1: so good on a big screen. It I yeah. mean, like, And I was 14 years old, so I probably had not still not seen that many like kind of robust thriller grown up movies in theaters yet. Like it mm-hmm. was still a pretty new experience for me. But it was just fun to be with a gasping audience, you know, as twists are unfurled and so on.
0: You know what's weird, though, is I have this movie is gone from my memory gone Mm. i could Mm. i was watching it and normally you get traces back when you rewatch a movie you haven't seen in a while only thing i remembered was that amber Valletta was in it and i was like i remember i had a vague memory of people being like amber Valletta is an actress now and it was during supermodel times when people thought about Mm. oh i guess it was a little bit after supermodel times and um and it was like that was a bit of a buzz but she's and that was it i couldn't remember anything and then so there's something like soundproof about it it actually does not penetrate your consciousness
1: i mean yes I, the only thing i really remembered is Ford. the end is the for Ford being bad that's the thing that kind of stuck with me
0: We're, i was surprised when i was reading reviews some of what i was watching like the end when he keeps coming back when he keeps not being dead right. I was like, surely this is this must be one of the first times this happened, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to. We know we can't do that now, but (laughs) this must have been one of the first times. So that's why they were doing it. But then all the reviews were like all this recycled stuff that we've seen a million times. So already by this time, which is it was made in 2000, right, that had already been done. And so what really have we been doing for the last 20 years? Because it feels like Movie. It it feels like that was just yesterday that they just that they started that trope and we haven't come up with any tropes since then.
2: It's this thing I'm kind of obsessed with. I feel like I talk about too much on the podcast, but I feel like sometimes things that are effective get used so much that then the audience starts to like feel like they're smarter than it. Oh, it's this thing. I've seen it before. And then filmmakers start removing effective storytelling tools from their arsenal because they're like, well, I don't want to like give in to the cynicism of, I've seen this before. But they're not replacing it with anything new. They're just taking effective storytelling tools off the table. And it is that thing of just like, well, even if you've seen it before, like even if Harrison Ford does just become the Terminator in the last 20 minutes of this movie, it still is shocking. It still is yeah, like yeah. And scary. upsetting and, and yes. scary. Yeah. Just using him. Yes. Especially using him. Yes.
0: It was the best use of him in the whole movie. Like before that, he was so dead feeling. And so it made me. It, it turned. And there was something. It actually felt like it was about something finally. Him, her, the way he tries to kill her and the way she's running from him actually makes it the story of a marriage in a way that the rest of the movie actually doesn't do because the problem yeah. with movie this movie is the writing.
2: It, 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 this movie is so strange. I mean, it just even talking about, like, its cultural legacy, and then we'll start to dig into, like, the meat of the film itself. But I was remembering, because I didn't see this at the time. I was young, but I also was terrified of movies. Like, as much as I was a movie kid, any film that was trafficking in this sort of, like, Uh, a slow burn tension was fucking kryptonite to me. I didn't want to touch it because I was such an anxious kid. And not just like horror thriller films like this. We talked about this, or we talk about it coming up a little bit in the Castaway episode. But like, I was even scared to see a movie like Castaway where I was like, the plane's going to crash and then he's going to be fucked. Like, I was like so nervous. Like, I don't want this movie to get out of the point where his life is fine.
0: Didn't you feel that way? I listened- listen to you guys, Back to the Future, didn't Back to the Future stress you out then? Because when I was little, the things, this made me, these movies were comforting in a way that movies that just caused, where the characters were feeling anxiety actually is what caused me anxiety. Things going wrong is what I couldn't handle. And that's why when I walked Back to the Future, all I wanted to do was get to the, it was such a a relief when it all works out. But this stuff, it it seems like two different, it's a, this doesn't seem as anxiety provoking.
2: I I think it was the comedy cut it for me. I don't remember ever being stressed out about Back to the Future, although I was very invested in it even from the first time watching it. But, I i mean, this is like the most absurd version of the story that I've told before. But I, I, my dad had to drag me to see Austin Powers because I was terrified about the idea that he was cryogenically frozen. It Like that was right, such an like concept, terrifying concept to me. And my dad just wanted to see the movie and was stuck with my brother and I for the weekend. Uh, you know, for the weekend, I say as if my parents were divorced at the time. It was just that my <laughs> mom was like, "I wake them up." Uh, you know, I fucking take care of them all day. Saturday and Sunday, you have to do shit with them. But, um, uh, but, but, like, I remember. I mean, the same year, like U five seven one, I think I walked out of because I just was like, I can't handle the tension of the that's fucking submarine is gonna movie. go wrong. Yes. Like anything like that, any sort of disaster movie, it would freak me out. And I just remember being like. You know, it's not like my parents said, I couldn't see this movie, although they were a protective. I was just like, yeah, no interest in seeing that. <laughs> Looks too spooky. And then I, I after watching the movie, because I knew so little about it. it, it's talked about so little that I was like, okay, <laughs> bathtub and the shot where she turns into the other woman. That's all I really remember from the marketing. Let me just watch the movie first, somewhat cold, and let me let, then let me watch the trailer. And it's bizarre how much the trailer kind of... Unfolds everything. I mean, Castaway's the same year. Where it, Castaway's he gets the same. Yeah, Zemeckis slagged. is like, who fucking cares? Right. But I do think the movie actually holds up better if you're watching it in a context where you haven't seen the trailer or like you started, yeah. you don't remember anything that's going to happen.
0: And you know what? I kept everything I read about this movie says that he didn't care and that he was just like that he was one of the reviews was like he's over the shocks. He's he's phoning it in. He's rusty. I, he just put this movie made this movie in between making Casseway. This movie did not strike me as someone who didn't care. I thought this movie was very painstakingly stuck put together, and that's not the problem with it. I think people don't have his number when it comes to this film.
1: Yeah, I don't think you can really even his shitty, his whatever, his misfires. Now, I don't think that would ever be what I tag Zemeckis with. He's definitely very invested. Yeah, he. I mean, this movie I like. I think post these two movies, Griff, Mm -hmm. he often misjudges. What is compelling about the story he's telling? Maybe right. Like I'm trying to I'm trying to frame exactly what it is that kind of like went off for him. I don't know. We'll talk about it with these later movies. One thing I wanted to say, Starly, mm-hmm. uh, re your uh, like I'm missing this kind of movie. I have been recently watching. Um, Morgan Freeman movies, mm-hmm. like movies that Morgan Freeman starred in. Like, like A Long i I watched Seven. Like A Long Kissed Came a Spider. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. Kiss the Girls. Like, yeah. where I, you know, I watched yeah. Seven yeah. and I sort of had for, it had been a while since I'd seen Seven and I forgot like, oh, like he, Morgan Freeman is the star of Seven and is so good in Seven. And post that, not that he wasn't already famous with Shawshank and Driving Miss Daisy and stuff, but like post that it was like, Hollywood churned out a Morgan Freeman movie a year, mm-hmm. like where mm-hmm. he's a cop, and those movies, even though they're often like you know the the Alex Cross movies are pretty salacious, like they're very relaxing. He's a very relaxing I, screen presence. There is
0: nothing more relaxing than those movies. I, those and the courts those the like what 90s 80s legal dramas. Uh, oh
1: yeah, I mean I the, love like a Grisham, right? Yeah, like some kind of legal drama. Even
0: yeah. before the, the Grisham, I'm talking the like. Uh, Like the Black Widow ones. Like there's like a woman who killed her husband and they have to get, which is a different genre than Grisham movies, although The Firm is just incredible. Uh,
1: I mean, The Firm is the best Grisham movie by far. But do you also mean like Reversal of Fortune? Like, you know, like that's sort of like that that trend of early 90s, you know, like sort of slightly classy courtroom movies, like with, with like a good lawyer character, you know, like some some twists and turns, that kind of stuff.
0: I mean, I will take all of them. I want them all back. Right. It is a loss that I mourn daily. I the wrong there's the gatekeepers are the wrong people and they messed everything up. I want it all back. Um but I yeah. I'm saying the whole difference is that the lowbrow ones used to be better than any movie, definitely better than these Netflix movies that are made. And for the most part if you find one of those Morgan Freeman... They're not all. You can definitely... There's some that are so not good that you. if you dig around on Netflix, those are the ones that are usually available now because they must be the cheapest ones. But those Morgan Freeman, along came the spider ones, are so compelling and good.
2: I, I feel like the thing we're really mourning the loss of is trashy movies Airport for thriller. adults. No, right. but it, you know what I'm saying? Movies. It's like yes, a, yeah. movies made for adults now are always sort of aspiring to be prestige And then commercial films are made for sort of like younger audiences. And the idea of like a sort of like, this is no delusions of being an Oscar movie. This is not trying to be a critic's favorite. This is a popcorn movie for grown ups starring two people over the age of 50 trying to solve a moral quandary.
0: And I think I'm missing, I think what I'm mourning is us feeling like there was more to make. Like it felt like it didn't feel like we were going to stop there. The reason it was... These movies felt good is because we had a bunch of them, but I didn't think we were never going to create new genres and never create, yeah.
1: I have a couple other thoughts that I need to say before I forget them. One, Griff, I've never seen High Crimes. I'm assuming you've never seen High Crimes. I've never seen High, no one's seen High Crimes. It was directed by Carl Franklin. Like, is there a chance there's something there? Because he's a good director. Carl Franklin Maybe I should check out, exactly. Yeah. Two, uh, Morgan it's, Freeman, it's re- Jim
2: Caviezel, Ashley Judd.
1: Is that it? It's a reunion of Judd yeah. and Freeman from yeah. Kiss the Girls. Yeah. Um. Even though they're playing different characters. Uh, the other thing, Starla, you mentioned Jennifer Lopez, and it's underrated as well that that was such a cornerstone of her movie star career mm-hmm. was... R-rated movies for grown-ups, like The Cell, Angel Eyes, Enough, Enough. like those yeah. kinds of like mm-hmm. movies for grown-ups. Like, I mean, she would make rom-coms and stuff as well, but like she went right to those as she got famous. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you know, pre her becoming like a super duper pop star.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When that's when I feel like, but yeah, but even you know, like a few years ago, she made the boy next door. I mean that That is a silly movie, I guess. That's the thing. Her movies
2: get trashier. Right. 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 She's still making them, but they now have to like try to to appeal to 16 year olds. Right. 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 So is it, what are they, what is
0: the logic? There's thinking that grownups don't want movies anymore or they are not going to leave their house and they're, what do they think that we don't, that people don't, what, what happened? Why did we once appeal to grownups and not anymore?
1: I don't know. I think there's partly, I will say, whenever I write about this stuff, so many grown ups like get in my mentions being like, Well, you know, the movie theater experience has been ruined. I was gonna say. You know, like I don't like it's essentially the I don't like these kids with their phones looking at, you know, you know, eating popcorn and yelling or whatever. Like there's that there's definitely that energy out there of like, well, no one wants to go to the theater anymore. That's crazy. But They're I giving don't like, up.
2: They are, they shouldn't be. I mean, give that's up.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. They also have all... They have, like, a big TV now, maybe. maybe that's what like, I was going to say.
2: Leapfrogging off of your your what you're saying, David, this is 2000, pretty much right after this, the big DVD boom happens, where suddenly, like, large, higher-quality TVs become much more affordable... DVD is so much better than VHS and you start to hear the sentiment of like, well, with my setup, it's almost as good as going to the theater, which very quickly gets coupled with these kids, these movies, it's all trash, I don't want to go out and see it. I feel like that, like, sort of, like, to to pinpoint it, I feel like white people over the age of 40 are the first audience to start to be like, is it really worth the hassle of going out to the theater? Which they then also blame on all these movies are made for kids, there's nothing worth even seeing anymore. But then when these movies come out, they don't go out and see them because they go, well, it's easier just wait until it's out blockbuster until I can get it in the mail from Netflix until it's streaming on Netflix like that changes sort of. Well,
0: then why evolves. don't they still make at least good movies for them to watch at home? I mean, I think it's crazy. They don't want to leave their house and that they're yeah. still <sighs> going to blockbuster. But why we don't we didn't have to then say because they're sitting at home the, I they get nothing. Is it just because it there was no ticket sales that people needed anymore?
2: I I think that's part of it. I think it's harder to make... I And I, I think people get more scared. I mean, that's like at the end of the day, it's the thing of just like people stop having the confidence that the thing will work. So they start trying to cut it with like... You know, what lies beneath, I mean, David, you said, like you saw this, you were 14 years old. This was a big movie Mm -hmm. with teenagers, but it is a movie that is not outwardly trying to appeal to teenagers at all. It is a movie that had an allure to teenagers because it was like, oh, this looks like some spooky adult shit. It was scary. Right. That's pretty much the only allure Problem. This movie could
0: not be more teenager proof. It doesn't have any, the one young person, she, she sent away in like the first scene.
2: But teenagers wanted to see it. There was this weird aspirational effect, which certainly used to happen, of like, I want to seem mature that I want to see the grown up horror movie. And now I feel like you have your horror films that are clearly meant for kids and your big franchises and whatever. But then when you get something like The Intruder, which is a perfect example, as David said, a $7 million Dennis Quaid. Screen Gems movie that is very trashy. Neighbor from Hell
1: movie. Right. Right. On
2: its face, that premise could be made into a movie like this. Even at a lower budget, it has all the trappings of its adult characters, its adult themes. There's no reason it has to be this sort of like gonzo and flashy and manic. But it just feels like all these movies are like we need to outwardly try to get 16-year-olds on board. We need to try to get 13-year-olds on board. We need to make it look really active and shocking. And the slow burn of this movie, I mean, talk about like watching it cold without, you know, re-watching the marketing materials, trying to keep myself as blind as I could with just like, I remember the bathtub, I remember the face transformation, nothing else. The most effective chunk of this movie for me is the first hour where I'm going like, where is this going? But Mm -hmm. it has that confidence because it's got that like Zemeckis control, the control of pace and everything where you're just like, I know he's going somewhere. I don't know if this movie is going to be a masterpiece, but I know he's building to something. And every little morsel that's dropped off, every clue, I'm really, really engaged trying to figure out what is this movie building to. And as you said, Sterling, it's kind of not until the last 15 minutes that you're like, Okay, I get thematically what this movie is doing, but it's rare that you watch a movie that takes so long to reveal not just like its twist, but what it's trying to say and yet has the confidence to keep you on board for that long.
0: But what's interesting to me is I was watching the first hour and being like, it's such a shame that it's written so poorly because what makes a movie what makes a movie coming for
1: Clark Gregg?
0: Oh my god, you have no idea how much I'm gonna like I just yes. I'm I fully want to come for Clark Gregg because it just it was shocking to me how bad the script was. If be considering what the movie thought what the movie was doing, but considering all yeah. the jumps, scares are at the end of the film, you actually have to build a world. And what makes a movie like Sixth Sense so special is that Sixth Sense conceals its twist by making this incredible film that you're super engrossed in that has scares in it, but You are actually following a plot or like a movie like, I mean, I'm going for like really good movie, like Hereditary, where like also saves some scares, very sparing use of, of when it's scary, but you're so absorbed in the world of it. This movie, I just felt like because I did think so much care was put into it, I was shocked that... Like I, This is what I often wonder. Why not put the same amount of care into the script? Why is the script so often an afterthought for a movie like this where you're talk- they're just talking for an hour? But then I
1: it's weird because script- this was
2: such a hot script.
1: What were you going to say there? Well, I, yeah. It was a hot script. Well, I think it's a very... It, the reason it was a hot script probably is like it's very easy to... It it has an easy hook and not a lot of characters, so it's sort of like clean and spare, right? Like you mm-hmm. probably you could just read it and be like, "I can, you know, I can picture this in my head." If you right, like I I don't know how else. It's a very rudimentary script. But wait, I guess, but, but this
2: original story came from Sarah Kernigan, who's yeah. like a two-time yes. Academy Award-winning documentary yes. filmmaker. Uh, and she has this idea, then she writes it. I believe she writes a full draft.
1: It's not that she has this idea; it's supposedly she had a personal experience with the paranormal. Yes, sure, right. That is how it is put. So she
2: got. Who knows what happens? That sounds she, cool. She's married, has been for a long time, to legendary theater director uh, uh, James Lapine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how uh, autobiographical the script is or isn't, but she said it was like she was in a house with her husband in a somewhat secluded area, had a paranormal experience. The idea came out of that. I believe she writes a full draft of the script. DreamWorks acquires it. The other thing this movie comes out of is just, like, this is peak. DreamWorks is getting up on its feet. They're trying to establish themselves as a studio. Here's, like, Spielberg and Geffen and Katzenberg, Mm. and they want to, like, make their mark by being like, we're making big fucking marquee movies. We're bringing in the biggest directors, the biggest stars, but they're also just trying to acquire, like, big shit. Like, they're like, you know, we... I feel like DreamWorks was still trying to position themselves as being more highbrow. Like they were, everything they were mm-hmm. trying to make, whether or not it worked, had a a certain veneer to it. Yeah. Where you're like, even something like Mouse Hunt, which is like, <laughs> you know, oh, like DreamWorks in its first year is making a kid's movie is this like bizarrely expensive, production-heavy, intricate children's movie starring like two theater actors. Yeah. Uh, and so you can see how Spielberg would look at this and be like, oh, it's like an adult couple. It takes place in this house. It's got these Spielbergy elements. It's got these Hitchcock-y elements. You know, it's right. got like all these sorts of things in it. Um, and so he, I think, originally is sort of like looking at it for himself. And then he brings the script to Zemeckis. I think the, the biggest thing was like, it would be great. I mean, so much of the promise of DreamWorks was, man, all Spielberg movies are going to be DreamWorks releases. That's enough to you know, green light a studio. But also, he's going to be able to get all his friends and his favors in to do movies. So it's like, He fuck, gets movie Dream- stars. Right. Mm-hmm. DreamWorks has gotten a Zemeckis movie now. DreamWorks has gotten, he's going to be able to call in the movie star favors. And he brings it to Zemeckis and is like, I think this would be good for you. Zemeckis goes, oh man, this is perfect. I need a movie that takes place in a controlled environment while I burn eight months waiting for Tom Hanks to become emaciated.
0: I have $100 million just to burn while I'm waiting.
2: But but the thing that happens in between is Spielberg kind of goes like, oh, this script, I like this premise. I don't really like the script. And then hires Clark Gregg and says, like, essentially do a page one rewrite. So Kerna can only get story credit, but Gregg also gets mm-hmm. story credit. It was very much positioned as like, she came up with whatever the germ of the she thing was. And they essentially an idea, bought right. the script in order to start over from the idea. But that and then, So there's this
0: quote from her on Wikipedia and where she talks about... Um, she, where she says, I think people know that there's no point in calling me in if you want the other kind of women characters. A featureless help me character or the saint or the whore. You know, any of the archetypes. I don't think all women are powerful, intelligent, any of these things. I just require that female characters are very real, that they have all the dimension that the male characters do. I read this after I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, to me, the problem with that first hour is you. there is no... If not even the just Michelle Pfeiffer doesn't have a character because Harrison Ford also doesn't have a character, so it's not just about the woman not having a character. I, I was going to say but no
2: one really has dimensionality. I know, yeah. I know but, they're all archetypes, but it is her movie. Right, right. It is
0: watching a woman, yes, yes. question if she's mentally ill, gra- mm-hmm. grapple with um uh, her her marriage, her daughter leaving, like the fact that they gave it to. Cl- <laughs> I don't know who Cl- I don't know anything about Clark Gregg other than I know he's an actor. I know he's married to Jennifer Grey. Yeah. This is the first movie he wrote. But, like, just being like, this is the guy who should write this story, especially since it was a woman who wrote it to begin with, and she has quotes like that, That that— is the problem. It just has I, to I be. I couldn't
2: <laughs> agree more. I mean, it, it feels like, if nothing else, it's it's lacking in that sort of specificity, because this movie is so framed from the perspective of this character. All those circumstances you said, being of a certain age, being at a certain point in her marriage, being an empty nester for the first time, you know, like, dealing with that fear of, like, repressing, am I losing my
0: mind? Right, repressing that she saw her husband have an affair and not acknowledge right. to herself. Like, she's truly going through, this is woman under the influence as a as a psychological thriller.
2: Which is uh, one of my favorite subgenres as a movie, is <laughs> is person questioning whether or not they're going crazy. Yeah, yeah.
1: It, it, Rosemary's Baby, uh, like, right? It, yeah. It's very evocative but, of but that. But these you know, are, right, like, like, all some of my favorite movies
2: ever or, made. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, Rosemary's Baby, what I kept yeah. thinking about being like, Rosemary's Baby, every scene is enjoyable. Like, it is just the movie you want to watch over and over and over I mean, again. And, like, yeah. so when you watch yes. a movie like this, I just don't understand why you wouldn't... Put the same muscle into that part of it, into anything that wasn't yeah. just getting the special effects perfect, which they were.
2: It's it's wild too that it's like, oh, DreamWorks is gobbling everything up. They're just looking for stuff to acquire. Here's the script. Why they picked Clark Gregg to write it is odd because he's okay. I, oh, I, okay I, you have, I back have to, yeah. Know. Yeah. no, yeah. I don't. I just this
1: is it, I just have to know. I have no. Beef with Clark Gregg. I think he is Big fan of actually a wonderful, yeah. wonderful character actor. I saw Choke, the movie he, he wrote directs and directed. Two which movies I thought was decent. After this,
2: but he has not written or directed a film prior to this. Very
0: male movie too. He, and he, he, yes, like could not be more male to go from this to Choke.
1: Yes, he wrote and directed the movies he directed. You mm-hmm, know, like, right. but is he? I just have to know. Like, is he someone who was like quietly doing rewrites? Right you know, for years, like, which is certainly plausible. Like, how is it that they're like, all right, all right, so we're going to get some Mechas maybe, or like some big director. Like, how about we give Clark Gregg a call to But this? Is this? A, like, I just want to know. this seems
0: like the scenario, what, this is what it seems like to me. It seems like Clark Gregg is a super likable guy. He's Absolutely. like, he's sure. just exactly the kind of actor that they're like, they're not, he. Just, he's not a movie star, but everyone likes to have him around. Um He's he kind, of, kind of a Tate Donovan type, and yes. of of the time, yeah. And so they were. I think they were. Just, we, they were like, we like Clark. He wants to write. It must have been great in the room. We, right. Yeah, and we like him. Let's give him this. It, 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 there's no other scenario. Maybe Joel Gray pulled some strings. I don't know, but it just. <laughs> okay,
1: no, I, I. So I I googled because I needed to know. Yeah. yeah more i need you to know just a little bit more. did
2: he write some like spec script that everyone loved yes okay he
1: had written but... some spec scripts that nina jacobson who you know is a, yeah. becomes a really big big wig and is at dreamworks had loved and she's like comes to him and she, she reads his scripts i guess and she's like we have a ghost idea that's a couple of sentences and spielberg is sniffing around it mm-hmm. You know what I mean, and so basically she sort of sends him off with like that. Okay, and then he he turns in a draft, and then Zemeckis calls and is like, "I want to do this," but like it's like a Hitchcock ghost thing. Yeah, and he's like, "Okay, you know," and so so very much a for hire job. But I guess like when they start it off, it's it's kind of a it's just a spec thing. It's like, yeah. a, well, we'll see. But why wasn't Sarah
0: the one who wrote it then? If she had this story... And she, and she, no, they clearly
1: and she, just bought it from her and were like, goodbye. We yeah. the, 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 we have no... And night.
0: at first I was like, maybe she didn't have any credit, so they were easy... It was like, they were just like, we just don't take her seriously at all. But she seems respected. So I just don't understand... Had she already won Oscar? It just is so crazy to me.
2: There's also this weird fucking thing. I mean, speaking about all the stupid behavioral, like, sort of uh, shit that doesn't make sense in the entertainment industry. But there's this line of thinking of, like, it has to be additive. You have to move forward. Where, like... Yeah. Uh like i uh, they did their thing we're
1: bringing someone new like not yeah we're right. not going backwards right. we're not right. yeah, yeah, like
2: yeah. They're, they're, i i've so, heard stories about like someone writes a script uh, then uh, they go, ooh, it's good. This area we feel like is underdeveloped. We're going to hire someone to rewrite it with an eye on this thing. The person rewrites it. They fuck the script up worse. And then the original writer goes, I'll rewrite it and try to reset it and take your notes. And they go, we can't go back to the first writer. We have to hire a third writer to undo the work that the second writer did rather than just reverting back to the earlier file you know <laughs> and then bringing a new writer yes. onto that like there's just this thought of like you have to be doing new shit as opposed to ever moving back
0: because everyone's got to justify their jobs everyone's right, got to justify yeah
2: right and it's partly
1: yeah. it's a control thing it's like well no you were there then if you come back then you have more authorship yeah. of this than maybe we want you know what i mean like that must be part of it like you know, they're like, fundamentally, it is our right. project. And you are simply, you know, one of the many yeah. tools well, in Clark our toolbox. Clark Gregg seems perfect will, for that, yeah.
0: too. He seems like a guy who'd be willing to be I, one of the tools in a toolbox.
1: Yes. He is not someone in these interviews who's like, I'm so proud of mm. that movie. In these interviews, he's like, you know what? I saw it at the premiere. I've never watched it again because I don't love to mm-hmm. like rewatch things I worked on. Uh, I would just obsess over what I wanted to change. So it's yeah. he does not seem like no, he seems you know that was really my moment. You know he's he's just kind of like well it was. a But job that's what I, I think is
0: appealing about him. He really does. He really does seem sure. so likable in a way that
2: he's very affable.
0: Yeah, he's nice. We yes, <laughs> I enjoy <And> so him. <laughs> that I feel like if you don't want someone who gets in the way of your of your vision, sure, he's the one. She has all these opinions about women and. She wants stuff to have archetypes.
2: I think that's the other big factor, Starly, is just like, if someone like Sarah Kernighan comes in and is like, this is personal. I had this experience. Out of this, I examined my own relationships. They're like ooh, interesting premise. We don't want you getting too attached to this thing. Like, you care too much about this. And then to go to Clark Gregg and go, like, can you spin something off of these three lines? And he's like, yeah, sure. Like, I think they they get worried if people care too much because then they're like, oh, are they going to be a precious artist? If someone yeah. like Clark Gregg comes in and he's like, it's a living, they're like, great. That's the exact right attitude. Yeah. Because we can still exert more control over it in the way that, that you're saying, David.
0: But it's a problem when it's a movie that is so about the writing. If you're going to do a movie like this, to pull off that first hour has to really be about characters and story.
1: Well, that would make this a a capital G Mm -hmm. great movie, possibly. But the movie we watched, the movie that exists, is all about the direction and deploying two big movie stars. And the writing is an afterthought. And that's why the movie is very watchable and kind of lovable 20 years later, but not... Capital G, great, I would say.
0: But also, why it's so slow because you're waiting for something to happen instead of getting attached. There was a Pacino interview,
2: I feel like, recently that went a little viral where someone just asked him, like, why do you make so many shitty movies? (laughs) And he was like, you know, at a certain point, it became like this competitive thing of they would, like, send me an awful script with a big, like, you know, money offer attached. And I would go, this script is garbage. I wonder if I can act well enough to make this better. Like, if someone sends me an A-level script— I can, I can trust that I'll be good in that. If someone sends me an F level script, the 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 struggle of could I turn this into a C almost gets me more excited and I have to wonder what is he He's like zero for a hundred yeah, exactly. on that. Because
0: then it like, truly, truly like... dragged him to the bottom of the sea the yeah. way that this movie tracks really? Amber Valletta. He's done right. that decision.
2: But, yes, yes. <laughs> but I think he, even in that interview, is like, eh, I, I probably got stuck in that trap and it's never really worked. <laughs> like, he admits it. You know, like, I shouldn't have done like right. 18 Avi Lerner cop movies where I'm 87 and pretending right. I'm 24 and dyeing my hair orange. But like, I do feel like to a certain degree someone like, Zemeckis, who in all these interviews I've been reading is like a guy who is innately kind of ornery and also really resented the fact. That after Back to the Future, he was seen as, oh, he's a sure thing. Bobby knows what he's doing. And he's like, I get off on people questioning me. I want to feel like I'm pushing against something. And when everyone trusts me, I get really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's a degree of like reading a script like this where you're like, eh, the script's like 60%. The germs are there. And I see this as a good excuse for me to use all my director like toolkit, like sort of like, oh, I can do a Hitchcock homage and almost saying like, is it a better test of me as a director to try to make a great movie out of a script that's mezzo mezzo than taking a script that's a slam dunk that almost is kind of on rails and hard to fuck up? He needs something to slot in between Castaway. Castaway things and he
1: wants to make a Hitchcock movie. So he may also just be kind of like, what thrillers do you good have? Good fit. Like, I don't I, think yes, I, yeah. I
0: disagree Sorry. with the good fit though. That's what I don't think he was doing. I think, I don't think he, I think his weakness is women characters, his films. Mm. Leah Thompson is so good in back to the future, but that's because of Leah Thompson and that character is such a weird plot. And it's so interesting that that's her character. But across the board, I I, like in Castaway, the woman, the angel that comes in at the end. That like he he just he just has it's not his strong suit. So I think he wasn't able to recognize that in the script. And there's also, like, when I was first watching it before, I didn't read about it. I just, I didn't remember anything about this movie. I didn't read any of this stuff until after. I didn't read about the Hitchcockian part and then I began to realize it as I was watching it, obviously. But I don't think it just, it's because it's shot like a Hitchcock movie. I don't think it's just, like, the Hitchcock references. I think even the style of the marriage feels like yes. a Hitchcock movie. And so when I first, yes. so the, one of those first scenes when she's in bed with Harrison Ford and they're about to have sex, the way they kiss is so weird. And as I re- began to realize how hitchcock in the movie was, I was like, maybe it was intentional. Literally the way he had them kiss where it's like their mouths are kind of like mushed against up against each other. And they're about to have sex. But it feels so old-fashioned. And at first I took it as them- Is Robert Zemeckis not knowing how to make a sexy scene, but I actually think he might have been doing it intentionally, as a throwback.
1: A a little bit. Also, like Harrison Ford just doesn't have sex on screen much. Like, there's something unsettling about Harrison Ford in this movie right away. Like, because I'm just like, he's just like a guy with a job in the house, like, and he's normal. Because, like, in that for that scene you're talking about, Starly, he's shirtless. He looks sensational. Mm -hmm. Like, he looks like just, like, the greatest kind of, like, hot
2: dad, and he's, like, typing on his laptop or whatever. Th- this is the very end of his, like, classical hotness period, right? Like, after this, it's, right. like, the fucking K-19 and Hollywood Ham Homicide. He's got the earring. Everyone's, like, is he our weird grandpa who's, like, now moved to Malibu and is trying to, right. like, rebrand yeah. himself? But yeah. he
0: does know how right. to be right. like totally. that. Scene is so weird, and the way he, when she says, "Do you want to fool around?" and he makes this smile that is so creepy and weird, and not creepy to gesture <laughs> at the what's going to come at the end of the movie. Just like you way you you look at him, you are like this man has never had sex appeal, which makes your brain short circuit because it's Harrison Ford, and he. Is had had nothing but he's had so much sex appeal before that and even if you haven't seen him have sex yes. he is the most charming in Working Girl yes it, Working
1: it, Girl is yeah, number yeah. one we, n- even like, setting
0: aside Han Solo and Indiana Jones in a rom-com he knows what to do Oh sure. and so suddenly oh, it's totally. all gone and so I think it's a combination of Harrison Ford getting to that point that you're talking about Griffin where he suddenly like loses it all but also maybe a filmmaking choice That's the
2: other weird thing about this movie, though, is like, as you said, Starly, you read the reviews and everyone is slamming of like, Zemeckis has done this a thousand times. He knows he can do it. It feels like his heart's not in it. And I'm like, this movie is about directing above all else. Like, this feels like a movie where Zemeckis is trying to will this into being a classic through sheer directing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Whether or not he succeeds, it doesn't feel dispassionate to me. Yeah. There might be calculations in it and like oh, it'd be fun to do this type of movie. Oh, this feels like the right kind of movie to make in the time I have while Tom Hanks, you know, stops eating fries. Like, all this shit. Like, there are weird sort of asterisks to it. But all of that stuff, and even just like, I want to see if I can reframe the the star personas of two big Hollywood stars. Like, all this sort of shit. And even just that sort of challenge of like, oh, you never really see Ford play a villain. And also... Weirdly, for a guy who is such a, a sort of like towering figure of like modern Hollywood hunkdom, you realize watching it, oh, Harrison Ford is weirdly kind of asexual in a lot of movies. Yeah, like he is known as such a classical hunk, yeah. but it's almost always through suggestion, you know. Yeah, and you think about usually like I like Witness. Yeah. I mean.
1: He's so hot in these movies like right. no question yeah. like I'm not I'm not saying and Working Girl has the that at least seared in my memory shirt change scene that is he is oh very cute in Working Girl but it is usually archetypal like it's
2: usually not like, and it feels yeah. like he's kind of like Hayes sense. Cody in a certain way, where you're realizing, like, there yeah. is this oddly old fashioned thing about him where you feel like when he kisses Miss Pfeiffer, it's like when you watch certain films where kissing was thought too scandalous in, like, you know, the early to mid 1900s, where when the two movie stars have the romantic kiss, they're just like exactly. smushing their faces together, their yeah. lips are, are tightly closed. <laughs> like, if he does have, he, you, I mean, that come here. You, 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 spurred, you have to the say, way come here. They,
0: the way that they, they kiss, and then it, you might as well. It's like in, in old movies where they just like slide to the next scene. It feels like right, you are cut not to the alo- train. Yeah, you're. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you're yes. not allowed to see what happens next. It's so right. odd, and I think, I think it's a combination of these particular actors and Robert Zemeckis and all of them actually being weirdly old fashioned, and also, and also, I think Robert Zemeckis possibly did not know what a good version of this kind of movie is. I think he also might have, because he had not made this kind of movie, he might have been yeah. shown the movies that we've all watched. It's kind of when I, sometimes I have friends who didn't grow up on TV and then they'll watch a bad TV show and think that's like a great thing because they've never seen anything like that. Like mm-hmm. he also could have seen the bad psychological thrillers and been like, this is what I'm actually supposed to be striving for.
2: Well, like, you know, we we sort of been talking about this, uh, but the the... I feel like watching all his films in order, as we have, you forget, like, right, he was like really a comedy director with a capital C. That's what he was. His student films yes. were comedies. Spielberg hired him when he said, I finally want to do a comedy yes. to write 1941. You know, his first like six or seven movies are all comedies first and foremost. If they're genre mashups, the second say, thing is, is, yeah. is,
1: you know, it comes after comedy. Yeah. Honestly, Forrest Gump is a drama, like, but it is obviously has many comic elements. And it's, it's the sort pivot point. Yes. Contact is, but Contact is the first movie he made that is a right. I won B an drama. Oscar. And I'm a, a genre serious genre adult movie. filmmaker now. That's
2: right, right before this. 97. Forrest Gump wins the Oscar, and that's like Contact, totally earnest, totally serious, no comedy. Uh, what lies beneath? And cast like Contact, you know? not a flop. But I do think was a little a little dinged yeah. at the
1: time, and he maybe mm. was wounded by that because it's right. a good movie. Um, but um, so maybe he's like, okay, well, I guess I need to make like
2: yeah. pulpy stuff, yeah. audience, you know? What I mean? like, you know, what lies beneath and Castaway
1: so. are two mm-hmm. crowd pleasing movies, exactly. Like they are. Movies that can appeal to grown-ups, they are not like completely hacky, but like he definitely is like, I'll make thrillers. Like I'll make like, you know, I'll edge your seat stuff.
0: Castway to me is such an exploration of manhood in a great yeah. way. Like I have made fire is the epitome of like men's secret you know, like their their burning their most burning desire. But actually, because he made contact right before this, contact is what I forgot when I said that he doesn't know women characters. I've been in contact in a long time. Yeah. But that is very much yeah, Contact I remember server. loving Contact. So I actually have to amend what I said. Because so maybe Contact and Castaway are the ones that are supposed to go together. And then there's this weird film in between.
2: But, but Starly, I mean, you're making an interesting point, which is like that first hour of this movie. Through a certain prism is kind of the counterpoint to Castaway, where it's mm. like this is a movie about a woman of the same age yeah. left alone with her thoughts. Yes, to a degree, it's a woman in seclusion. You know, and it's not like Castaway is the the physical version of this. He's stranded, mm-hmm. but what lies beneath is like well, now the daughter's out of the house and he's really obsessed with his work and yeah. they've moved to this little fixer-upper. Like, yeah. wh- wh- how does she function if she's left alone in a house for this long? And what is she most one?
0: What is her version of I Have Made Fire? Like when she's wandering around, like she, they keep just being like, you have your house and you have your garden. You must be so busy. And it's so clear. Like they cannot stop mentioning that garden and house, the garden, which never plays into it at all. Like that's her entire character is based on this move and this garden that she's supposed to be tending to that never gets tended to. And so he just, he doesn't, he doesn't seem him or Clark Gregg, they don't seem interested in exploring or even asking the question of what she most wants. We just know what she's afraid of losing.
2: It's annoying because it feels like the movie is so close in so many mm-hmm. ways. It's like if you lay out all the elements, it's like this should be great. And I, while watching it, I had that excitement of like... There are few things that get me more jazzed than watching a movie take its time, but laying out all the pieces where it's like this movie has the confidence to just keep me there, even though I'm confused, even though I don't really know what it's trying to say, because it keeps on deliberately laying all these breadcrumbs. And mm-hmm. I'm going to trust that they're going to fucking make like, you know, a, a proper dish out of it at the end of the day. I guess in the last like 20 minutes, I understand thematically what the main thrust of the movie is. yeah. It, almost all lines up thematically. But there's a lot of stuff that's either done sort of like sloppily or things that are sort of abandoned. And it feels like it should all they they have everything they should need to make it a full letter grade better than it is.
0: For sure. The problem is every single thing is only about leading to the end. And you can't actually do that. You actually have to have things add up. It can't be a straight line. Adding up is not the same as a path that you're just on that you're kind of you you like you get the 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 tram gets set in motion, and so everything that they discuss is about this one thing.
2: I, I read the Ebert review, and he mm-hmm. said, like you know, uh, much has been made of this being Zemeckis' Hitchcock homage, but I think Zemeckis made one fatal mistake, which is having the film go into the supernatural, which is a thing. That Hitchcock wouldn't do, and I, I like, I keep going right. back and forth on that. Where, like, to some degree, I like that the movie crosses that threshold. I think Me he's. I, 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 I think hundred oh, percent.
0: I just, I just I read that too. I disagree so yeah. strongly. I think the strong, yeah. the strongest part of the premise, the idea that he was using effects the way that he thought Hitchcock would, and it actually yes. had such rest- they had such restraint to them because of that, and there yeah. was so much care put into them if that's the problem is the writing the problem is that the movie does not get constructed is wrong like that premise is the best thing about the movie but also
2: it's a structural issue i mean it's like if you just lay out what the main thrust of this movie is right it's like okay woman empty nester only child leaves the house husband workaholic you know somewhat emotionally distant now in a smaller house in a smaller town, more left alone, becomes obsessed with her next door neighbors, you know, who seem to be fighting. And when the wife disappears, who she's never actually met, becomes convinced that she's been killed by the husband and she's trying to solve it. So, like, you're like... Yeah, the first half is rear window. Right, the first half is rear window. And then it just makes this, like, very sort of dramatic shift of, like... Well, there's the James Remar, the the uh the scene where she confronts Remar and is like, yeah. "You killed your wife. I know you yes. did it." The whole first it half of the no movie sense. is it's the voyeuristic thing. It's the what's happening on the other side. You know, is the grass greener or less green with our next door neighbors? Right. They seem to be more right. passionate, but also maybe something dark's happening there. Uh, uh, what's going on, then it, it feels like it's heading into the is she crazy or is it real kind of like that sort of thriller, which is my favorite sort of type of thriller. And, and then there's the Miranda Otto scene where I thought, oh, is the movie about, here's wife but is it really the wife or is he presenting a new person to be his wife i was like Mm -hmm. is it one of those movies where there's a cover-up and everyone's trying to convince her that she's making something up in her mind but actually it's just a very elaborate cover-up and then no it's like the miranda auto scene just kind of like completely closes the book on it and then michelle pfeiffer goes oh no everything I was paranoid about there was this shit going on with my next door neighbors but that was actually just a kind of weird relationship that (laughs) I let my paranoia misinterpret but then the other stuff on top of that that I viewed as supernatural was real but had nothing to do with her because she's not dead there's this unrelated missing woman case that I had forgotten about and that must be the ghost and now I'm trying to solve the different mystery of what does that woman have to do with my husband when you put it like that it's just like that's like two totally different movies and they're thinly
1: linked by the fact that she's sort of been seeing spooky stuff the entire movie but that's about it like i could see more being layered in where it's like well no one believes her when it's real because right right it's a boy who cried wolf when it wasn't real but they don't really do much of that because once the first half is over, like you said, we're really just in sort of like cat and mouse, Harrison Ford, Michelle Pfeiffer stuff. That, right, that's quickly. the other thing. Like, there's not much time before it's the first time for hour their of the show Like, which is just a different movie.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense, too, because like the way that he act, the neighbor, the way he acts actually... Has no logical explanation. Yeah, he's yes. like threatening her. He's not answering questions.
1: Right. He seems like a bad husband. Right. Yeah. I mean, there definitely is yeah, drama in and and the way at that she acts with the fence. The, is so crazy. Fence, I did like yes. the scene
0: yeah. when, when the neighbor talked about why T- she talking left. I the thought fence? that. Ha- no, no, no. Later on, when she explained, they, when they had to come up with an oh, explanation sure. oh. to to tie right. a bow on this plot line that we're never going to hear from again. uh right. When 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 she says. If you ever loved someone so much that you like like that she fled because she loved him too much and they were too they were too passionately entwined. Yeah. There's some pathos to that. It doesn't get explored in the movie. I mean, there's all sorts of things like that in this movie that I wish they had actually understood. It's almost like they wrote the script without understanding what the gems were. So they had no way to actually tie it together and follow it thoroughly.
2: But then the other weird thing is I read that Clark Gregg. Sorkin wanted Clark Gregg to play one of the roles on Sports Night and he had to turn it down because they were like, this movie is going and we need you on set for rewrites. Like, this very much seems like a thing where he was like the writer. He was there every single day. He was the only guy with his hands on this script.
1: I mean, certainly he is the only credit screener, but like, that also feels like $100 million Robert Zemeckis shit where he's like, no, the writer will be here every day in case I sure. need him, right? You know what sure. I mean? Like, or he's just like, no, there there will be no corners cut. I am
2: Robert but, Zemeckis. But, yes, yes. But also it doesn't seem like there were other people taking passes at this. No, don't no, hear about no, David whatever. Kaep, he's like he's right. in charge of it. Right? And right. also yeah. the
0: fact that there was multiple drafts then it was actually revisioned on this script and this was the final version they came up with blows my mind. Right.
2: Like, you mentioned hereditary, Starly, and, like, a thing that Art Aster does really well is I feel like the movie starts out and I'm like, okay, they're loading the plate up. Like, this is the first round at the buffet, and mm-hmm. he's putting so much on the plate. Are his eyes bigger than his stomach? Is there any way he's going to be able to tie all these things together cohesively? Have these things pay off, you know? And I feel like he's— yeah, I think he's good at that. I think that's one of the things that makes his movies exciting to watch because they have these epic runtimes and they seem kind of oblique at the beginning and you're trying to figure out where are all these elements going to converge? And I get excited watching a movie like What Not Lies Beneath where you're like, okay, so the Remar stuff is a red herring but it has to have some greater purpose, right? Whether it's a greater emotional payoff or it ties into thematically what the movie is doing. And it's like, the second that's abandoned, I almost start getting more excited because I'm like, fuck, okay, wait, wait a second. (laughs) Like Bobby's writing a huge check for himself. (laughs) He's not gonna put onion rings on the plate if he's not gonna eat them. Mm -hmm. Like what's, (laughs) what's going on here? And it's like, at the end you're like, I guess it's he's trying to do this sort of like wishy washy, like look at uh, uh, marriages where it's like, well, what is it like? (laughs) Pfeiffer has this marriage that's sort of like, it's not just appearances, but it's a little lacking in passion. And is there envy over them? But then her husband, who seems kind of banal, is actually hiding this sort of like aggro energy, but it's all about her wishing that he lusted after her more. And he kind of views her only as like, this is the perfect kind of life that I want.
0: I mean, it's very tricky too because like, it's very complicated why she's with, like the throwing in of her giving up her cellist career to be with him after her husband dies. Like that is unnecessary complications because it's not actually explored. And Every time they say it, when they're, like, having their big heated fight, and he was like, you were a single mother. You love like, we, it's not right. a given that she ever, why Why did she have to give up a career? Why did it all have to stop? Because she married this I, I scientist. I feel like, yes,
1: the, none of that is particularly well explored, but it's all yeah. part of whatever the, quote, unquote, what lies beneath, where it's like, oh, you know, you think they're such a great couple, and they've got right. a nice house, and it seems so, everything seems so perfect, but... Actually, there's all this drama. And then below that also, he killed someone and her ghost haunts them. But like that that's yeah. layer two. First there's <laughs> but, layer but, one. But right.
2: This is also the other area in which like the interesting ways he's working with movie star personas and our relationships to movie stars actually almost works against the movie is that like you're watching for the first hour and you're like, Okay, come on. Harrison Ford is first build. This is the most relaxed performance I've ever seen. (laughs) He's not going to be in this movie just to quietly say look, this is a really Relax. big project. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, right, right, right. So you're like, he's you're gotta scaring end me. up. You're Right, <laughs> he's gonna have skin in the game. Like, you're like, yeah. he's, he's so underplaying it, he's not tipping his hand to the fact that he's gonna turn out to be bad at all, that you know he has to turn out to be bad. <laughs> because yeah. otherwise, you wouldn't What's pay Harrison on? Ford right. $20 million to be in this movie. He wouldn't agree to do it if there wasn't more for him to play. So yeah. it's like, there's that weird subversion of just, like, it, it, it is bizarre how low-key he is. It is bizarre how quiet he is because they're also not trying to... It doesn't feel like they're positioning it as, like, oh, they're the perfect couple. Look at how much chemistry they have. Look at how red-hot they are. It's like they're just... They're nice. They're, like, a nice... Couple. It doesn't feel yeah. aspirational. You'd have dinner You're with like, them. I guess that's a decent. Maybe marriage. their dinners
0: seemed kind of boring. I mean, they were a boring couple, and that's the shocking yes. part. Is it's Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford and the feelings I was having watching these two. She I actually always was drawn to. I did like watching She's her. So good. She's so yeah. good. But Harrison Ford, I've never experienced watching Harrison Ford at this stage where I didn't yeah. where I wanted to see less of him. Like I felt slightly repelled by him and it wasn't because he turned out to be a sociopathic killer I loved him as a killer that was my the best scenes with him There was something very, very weird. I really deeply did not envy her being married to him, which is a shocking feeling to have when watching someone being married to Harrison Ford in a movie.
2: But I I wonder if that's almost what he was trying to play of like there's an insincerity to the way this guy is playing the role of the perfect husband. I mean, that's another element that's like just sort of weirdly thrown into the mix of this movie is like the specter. The ghost, if you will, of his father, the idea mm-hmm. that his father was this towering figure and he feels completely crushed by the legacy of his father and need to be like as important a man, have as beautiful a wife, as great a family, like all this sort of stuff that it's like the ideal husband Harrison Ford of the first hour is a guy who kind of can't even give a shit about going through the motions, you know, he's doing the bare minimum to play the role of the ideal husband. Because it's it's odd. Like after this Harrison Ford enters weird grandpa stage, but also is like sometimes it just feels like he doesn't give a shit. Like he's just so lazy. He's asleep. He doesn't care anymore. And sometimes he's locked in still. And this is an era where it still feels like he would care. But you're watching it and you're like, He's doing so fucking little, but yeah. it but, doesn't feel like it's out of laziness. There has to be yeah, some thought it, process. It's a choice. Right. It's a
0: well. Some of it seems like it had to be. I think in his mind, he was like, "I'm contrasting this with which, which is with the guy that you see at the end of this movie." But he yeah. doesn't. He somehow doesn't contrast it with charm. He contrasted it with dullness. He's like, "If yes, I can be so totally dull, dull, you won't see it coming." That I'm the bad guy. And then there's a part that I think he wasn't conscious of that if you actually did kill someone, you might, you have you have to bury that so deep inside yes, yourself you, that it yes, actually would dull you in a way that you would act the way I he acts. That. Yeah. And I don't right. think he's, no, a, I, I don't think he's aware of that. Eh,
1: I know, I might buy that as a conscious thing. But I don't know. I mean, mm. I do think everything we're talking about though, it just feels like they stripped one too many layers out of this. Like, to make it yeah. a, a spare mm-hmm. and clean thriller. Like, and again, I enjoy this movie. Like I have no. I do too. Yeah. Movie. Like it's it's very watchable, but yeah. like it's just that there's like
2: one I mean, this thing is missing. Like a, an episode of three people who like a movie trying to figure out why it isn't a masterpiece. You know, no, like, right? Well, I,
0: yeah, it, yeah. But it's because it's because it's so clean the palette that's being presented to me. I yeah, I can see where it could have been improved upon. Totally. There's so much time to understand what could be better about it while still enjoying it yeah. the entire time. It feels a lot like Her in the Tub, where we're watching it, yes. we can't do anything about it, we can't change anything. It's Her,
1: <sighs> Her in the Tub, which is the best set piece yeah. in the film,
2: yeah. obviously. Yes. It's just kind of incredible. Yeah, Is yes.
1: that something, th- that just feels like something, like an idea a director has. Like, I have no idea if Clark Gregg was the one who came up with it, but like, do you know, I, I want to stage yeah. a set piece that's so tiny and yet yeah. can totally occupy an audience for 10 whole minutes. You know, like, they can mm-hmm. literally play out like an action scene, even though it's just a person in a tub, like, trying to twitch her toes. Like, it's, it's it feels like a challenge love, a director yeah. sets himself. Or he's like, you, it's, you know, how yeah. much can I strip
2: out?
0: I, 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 I watch remember...
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I would lose my mind. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I remember seeing uh, a Sorcerer, uh, the the sure. freaking movie, and having this, like, breakthrough in how I thought about, like, tension in filmmaking where uh, it was one of the, the multitude of close-ups of just a wet dynamite on the back of a truck, right? And I was just like, this is the most nerve-wracking shot I have ever seen in a film. And then I stepped back and went like, this is like it could have been a second unit shot. Like, this shot right. in and of itself holds no power, but it is the build that this movie, the, the sort of like relationship and the understanding and the game that the audience has uh, bought into Mm -hmm. of just now anytime he cuts to an inanimate object it feels like a shot of like jason with a machete Mm -hmm. there's so much tension in an image which in and of itself has no power and and that kind of like directorial flex is like the bathtub scene in like a nutshell Mm -hmm. where it's like well part of the gimmick is the actress can't even express the terror. Like the history yeah. of horror it's and all thrillers eyes, is right. so much. Right, but it's mm-hmm. like the history of actresses being asked to play terror, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this whole other thing we can get into and like the obsession with like true crime and women being terrified of being murdered yeah. and what that feeds into in our culture, you know? Yeah. And like the, the narrative of the women surviving it and being able to sort of overpower it, whatever it is. But but all conveyed through like the woman playing hyperventilating and the and freaked screaming. out eyes and the running. Right, all that sort of stuff. The scream yeah. queens thing. And it's like, this is the opposite. It's like, here's a shot of someone almost unnaturally still. And Kuleshev effect style, we are projecting everything onto it. And a shot that looks like it could be out of a Nancy Myers movie of just <laughs> someone being like, I need a bath, something fierce, <laughs> you yeah. know, becomes like terrifying. It's
1: that Hitchcock thing of he gets that the the shower is scary because you Mm -hmm. feel vulnerable in it. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's an obvious connection. It's an obvious diagnosis, but like, it's still just great. Like we are afraid of these mundane things because we are vulnerable when we're sleeping or when we're bathing or when we're like alone, like it's just, it's just the easiest fear to prey on, but it's, it's, it it works. It's, it's clever.
0: And even like being buried alive and, and like not being able to do anything. If someone like that, the, The being paralyzed is a fear that is primal to us as well. I loved how at the end, after the bathtub scene, after the bridge, when the truck goes into the water and you Mm. see the water come in to the car, the way she plays it, she's so upset You'd be upset no matter what if you were in a car sinking to the bottom of the ocean. But because she just survived it in the bathtub, she's yeah. just like, fuck, again? Like, she doesn't even get any time to right. enjoy not being drowned. And there's some, there's some actual—you can actually see her trauma that she experienced 10 minutes before from surviving she's this exact space. such a
2: good actor. Like, she's so she fucking good. Yeah. And, and it's— It's somewhat rare that someone is this good of an actor and this good of a movie star. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I other people have said, like, Michelle Pfeiffer is like a character actor who tricked people into thinking she was a movie star because she was so beautiful. But but there is that thing where you never feel that protectiveness with her of like, this is what the Michelle Pfeiffer movie star persona is versus someone like Harrison Ford, where you're like. They're playing on my relationship to him. Michelle Pfeiffer, you watch any Michelle Pfeiffer movie and there's kind of a clean slate, you know? That's You're actually, like, I wanna see th- yeah. what she's doing here because I'm not preset into thinking she has to be playing this type of character. Sometimes she's very high status people. Sometimes yes. she's like a seductress. Sometimes she's a Fliberty gibbet, you know? Yeah. Sometimes she's cold. Sometimes she's funny. Like,
0: is there, I, that's a, I, I've never thought about that with her. You're totally right. It's like meeting her for the first time every time.
2: Yeah. Even though,
1: yeah, she's not exactly like you would never walk into a room and be like. I'm picturing, like, a Michelle Pfeiffer type for this. Yeah. Even though she's right. obviously... Uh, like, she has a look, like, an yeah. undeniable look. It's not like she looks really different in her movie. No, she's but, not
2: anonymous. She doesn't right. disguise herself. She doesn't no. transform herself in a showy way, you know? But, she almost always looks and sounds like Michelle Pfeiffer, but... But here's the thing that's... Because now I'm really thinking about this. It's
1: not like Harrison Ford stopped being a movie star after this. It is, unfortunately, kind of like Michelle Pfeiffer stopped being a movie star yes. after this. Like, yes, She yes. shifts into... More supporting roles, you know, like and stuff like that. After
2: this this. is the end of a list. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, I mean, I am Sam White Oleander. I am Sam. Right
1: Right. is the one that kills it. I mean, White Oleander. She ages out plus
0: becomes like a really rich wife. In real her real life thing happens, and she and she ages.
1: Got that that Boston legal money, but like
0: yeah,
1: um, but Harrison Ford too of course, he still will give you an Indiana Jones, but also is basically about to shift into supporting actor mode.
0: You see the shift in that smile that he gives her in bed. I'm telling you, that's, that's when <laughs> yeah. the that's, that's when it. you see the tea leaves of what the future holds in store for it's just
1: Ford. It's just weird that this unambiguous hit is basically <laughs> the last chapter in both of their A-list right. movie star careers. It's not like they made this and then it's like, well... You know, I guess it's time to call it quits on them. They made this; they should get make five more movies like this. That's each. like the Adrian like, you know. Brody
0: post pianist path. That I feel like that does happen.
2: But that moment, Starly, that yeah. smile is like that's it. There's the last glimpse of Harrison Ford's virility as a leading man, right?
0: <laughs> well, you see. I mean, the smile, what it actually is, so it's like when you see Amber Valletta's face on Michelle Pfeiffer's face. He's in bed. He looks like Harrison Ford. He's got that chest. He is so handsome. Then yeah. they kiss, and the he does this smile. The smile, It. do you remember it? He, like, kind of puffed up his cheek and is like, Yeah, it's like it's so disturbing. And when he does that face, is when he turns into the equivalent of Amber Valletta, and he turns into a different act, a
2: different movie star from that point on. Right, but but he's just like I mean, uh, the right after this is Hollywood Homicide. Does he or no? No, K nineteen. No, that's like
1: that's yeah. Because right after this, and it's not even two years later is K nineteen, which he gets, of course, paid a ton of money for, as we've discussed. Bombs really. Right. And then it's Hollywood Homicide and then a three year break until Firewall. And that was really the last time apart from an Indiana Jones where he's he
2: the lead. Gets his massive paycheck for Indiana Jones. And then he becomes more, as you said, David, of like a supporting actor. Like it's then it's like Morning Glory, Extraordinary right. Measures. It, it, In those movies. A he's yeah.
1: a co-lead, right? Exactly. 42. And those to yeah. Cowboys and Aliens, 42. Like mm-hmm. those, like the most you're gonna get out of him is co-lead. I don't think he's bad in every single movie post this. And as we've talked about, like he's very locked in when he needs to be, like Force Awakens, yes. obviously. But he's given up on what I mean. And he's but sort of. But it is becomes, interesting
0: that it came after a hit, though. You're right. He yes.
2: sort of becomes Spencer Tracy f- post right. Firewall, right? Like he's like, now I'm a grump. Now I'm sort of the elder statesman. Now I have glasses. I sort of character types. Yeah, I'm right.
1: wearing suspenders or something, maybe. Like... I, he had had a couple bombs before this movie, like he. Random Hearts and Six Days Seven Nights are both disappointments.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, Random Hearts full out bomb. Six Days Seven Nights, okay, but right as you said, underperformed. Disappointment, right? His, yeah, yeah sure. his, but still, you know.
0: What I found remarkable about this movie, though, was his inability to access the charm. Except at the end, when he's clearly there's something that's energizing that's him about thing. about playing a villain. But I would have thought that. If you're a charming man, that's the one thing you could always
2: tap into. But that's the question. Is it's like, is that a choice or is this him It might be a choice. The charm? It,
1: It's. It seems like he's like, I really want to play a total bad guy and have it be a surprise.
0: Except after he loses the charm. And, but then it sounds like he doesn't ever get the charm back in any of the movies again.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And it's, I, I, here's what I would contend. I would contend any movie in which he's successfully charming after this is based on the opposite of this uh, algorithm, which is Harrison Ford acts like an inaccessible grump and asshole to a comedic effect for the first 75% of the runtime. So the moment where he shows that he cares is kind of heartwarming. Like, he has to flip it. You don't enter the movie with the innate, well, Harrison Ford, we all love this guy. Like I think he's great in Morning Glory. I think he's very good in Force Awakens. I think those are two of the times he's really turned on and giving a shit. But Both of those, it's like, oh, come on. I hate this. Everything sucks. Everything's awful. Get away from me, you kids. And then when he shows he cares, you're like, fuck, yeah, Harrison Ford's still in there. But he never again does what you're saying, Starly, which is like, oh, you start the movie being like, well, Harrison Ford, of course, I would fuck him right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yes.
0: He can never age out of that for me. But in this one, he, it just, it's before your, you see it before your very eyes, yeah. He, he, the transformation happens and then we've lost him forever. And I don't feel good about it. Right. It does. It's it's hard watching something like that. It's hard watching a movie star yeah. lose something that you always depended on them for. And then like Pfeiffer, I remember,
2: I feel like it was on Weekend Update. Someone did a bit. It was like a Weekend Update, like someone doing a fucking op-ed monologue. Steve Pete Davidson type piece, as we would say now. It was maybe even, like, David Spade doing a Hollywood Minute or some shit. Sure. But it it was someone joking about how many TV shows David E. Kelly had on air at the same time. And I remember someone just on SNL saying, like... David E. Kelly, you're married to Michelle Weifer. Pfeiffer. Like, go home. Why don't you want to sleep with your wife? But that's what this movie's about, too. Like, this
0: is a David totally. E. Kelly story. Every time Harrison Ford's yes. at the lab or when he, they're in bed and he's like, she has to beg him to sleep with her. You're just like, yes. what is going on? We, this is Michelle right. Pfeiffer. This is the
2: most captivating woman in the world. But but like, even a
0: supermodel is not as pretty as her. They had to find, to be her double, it had to be a supermodel. Yes. And still, you're just like, eh.
2: The reason I bring this up is because, as you said, after this, she sort of starts to, like, soft retire. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's this thing where it's like, yeah. okay, I am Sam and then White Oleander, where she's, like, a big part of the marketing campaign, but she's a large supporting part. And I remember there being this thing of, like, oh, she's saying she might take time off. And then she doesn't do a movie for a while. And then it feels like post-White Oleander... Every time Michelle Pfeiffer's in a movie, it's positioned as a comeback. Whether it's been three years <laughs> since she made a movie or six months since she made a movie. Every time everyone's like, oh, thank God Michelle Pfeiffer's back. It never feels like she's fully like, I'm back to being a full-time actress. No. It always no. feels yeah. like she might never be in a movie ever again.
0: Yeah, and she and she starts to feel unrelatable to us as a... Per- They're all unrelatable to us as movie stars. But there's a certain yeah. kind of movie star that I imagined her... at. As, and then when she starts living the David E Kelly life I'm like I don't I don't know what this is this is not who I thought she was and right and then I don't care anymore
1: I I also think there's she has that energy of uh People just are like, you know, I'm I'm talking about nerds, but still nerds like me where it's like she hasn't won an Oscar. So anytime she's in a project with the Vegas prestige, people do sort of lean forward and they're like, well, could this be it? You know, Uh, is this the one like um, she's usually good. These, you know, like when she shows up in like Mother, she's a blast in Mother. mother. Yeah. Uh, Like, you know, recently it's like she's done. Marvel movies. She's
2: fun in Maleficent 2. I mean, it's kind of a bummer. But that's like when she showed up in Mother, I feel like people were like, fuck, great. It's been so long since we've seen Michelle Pfeiffer. That's the one, yeah. You're forgetting the three movies she's been in in the last (laughs) five years. It's not like she's been gone forever. She just doesn't seem to work all the time.
0: Well, Mother felt, though, like a different... It felt like she's doing something different than those last... I don't know what the last three movies were, but I assume they were... Action y, and it felt like she had had made a decision on a comeback. Like, this is Mother. It felt
2: like she tapped into the real reserve. She was giving us the good shit for the first time in a while. Yeah,
0: and we were so here for it.
2: Yeah. She's in a movie called Where Is Kyra that
1: got like zero release. You know, it was Mm -hmm. a Sundance movie that just didn't, but that she is great in. Mm. And it's just unfortunately one of those movies that it's a very quiet indie drama it didn't get picked up by the right studio or whatever. And that was that, but like you see her in it and you're like, Oh right. She's absolutely, you yes. know, capable of a great lead performance anytime. Maybe have she's you not seen French
2: exit David?
1: Uh, yeah, I, she's fun in that. I mean, she's fun. That's a i i i did not totally connect with that movie, but uh, she's again she's a total pro. But yeah.
0: she's a rare when you say she's it's very rare for someone as beautiful as her to be as fun as she is. That is yes. a distinguishing trait of hers. She is, is that so she fun. like she's so fun and that I don't know how I, she's summoning something up. It's like she acknowledges her beauty. She knows her beauty while yeah. like I don't know she's a good time. She,
2: that there's also this weird X factor with her where it's like it it shouldn't be possible for someone as innately beautiful. Like just like she has glamorous bone structure. You mm-hmm. can't make her dowdy, right? Mm-hmm. But But she is able to convincingly play low status people and to remain relatable as a sympathetic audience character like where I feel like people who are her level of beauty often have that struggle where it's like you can't accept them as an everyday person. It's just impossible.
0: It's because she seems like I think part of it is because of um, what's it? Married to the Mob is on her first first start. So she like cemented something about uh, being like able to play a different class. And when I see her beauty, Mm -hmm. I feel like, oh, it's possible that you were the genetic anomaly
2: in a family sure.
0: of non beautiful people like it's she's so astoundingly beautiful that you don't yeah. even know it's a little bit like i've seen like Cindy Crawford's sisters and i'm like where Cindy Crawford just like <laughs> something happened in those cell yeah. in that cellular formation that made this extraordinary beauty it's not like Kardashians and so sure. so I, I i i i buy it and Michelle Pfeiffer it's because she's not denying her beauty that makes me actually able to see her as so many different people. I can buy her as the beautiful mm. woman in all different walks of life who always knew she was beautiful, um, and then the different ways that that beauty finds paths in life.
2: It's I do. Also I will. Just fascinating, though. Yeah. Uh, no. What were you going to say?
0: Well, what she was wearing in this movie, I did feel because it was an era when it was like straight legged. Yeah. Not like straight legged khakis with boot bootleg cut. All the way down, a little bit past the ankle with this bootleg. And then, like, um, the kind of sh- like sandals, platforms, payless shoe style, like a pay, everybody was wearing kind of payless shoes, no matter what your class was. It did hurt to see that on Michelle Pfeiffer. I felt like, how dare you put it on this goddess? Like, that she had to live through this era and wear that stuff.
2: Did you folks notice that there was like a big, bold, sort of like, you know, uh, significantly spaced on its own uh, in the end credits? uh like Harrison Ford's outfits designed by credit oh no it Good was very odd because she didn't get one and he got one, and it's not like he's wearing like fucking Tom Ford. suits. But maybe he movie. just no. he
1: had some endorsement deal with like fucking yeah. Eddie Bauer. That he, like, it wasn't it, like just like, wearing it. normal.
2: He's I was gonna say he's wearing yeah, like t-shirts and pajama pants and shit. Yeah. But I like didn't. It wasn't like a brand name I recognized. It was like did he insist on bringing in his own like costume person who was like Harrison's got very specific thread counts on his loungewear. Like he, it might be. I mean, there was again that luxury. There be. was a
0: luxury feel yeah. to this movie that felt the yes. fact that they were Robert Zemeckis's for only choices. That he was like, yeah. I want to make this movie, and there's no one else who's going to be in this movie but them. Made everything yeah. feel like the terms and conditions for people to be involved in this film.
1: Totally. I think that's how he honestly kind of still operates. Like, and I do think that's part of his continued clout in the industry, even though he doesn't make hits at the same rates. Is like. Movie stars will still work, like Brad Pitt, Tom Hanks, like are still just like, oh, okay, sure. You know, Robert, you know, Denzel, like Robert Zemeckis, okay, I'll 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 do that. Like he, for whatever reason, I mean, because I guess because he made Back to the Future Roger Rabbit and Forrest Gump, like he will just get you the star.
2: Yeah. I I was also I was thinking about watching this and trying to place it in like the time. And there was that thing for a while where it was like, if you're an A-list movie star, you eventually have to work with all the A-list directors. And the mere teaming of one of those people with one of those people for the first time was enough to elevate any movie into being a blockbuster, Mm -hmm. being seen as a major tentpole release. Regardless of what genre it was mm-hmm. or what premise it was, like the idea is, it's like, oh fuck, it's like Harrison Ford in a Zemeckis movie for the first <laughs> time. Like that meant something. Whether they ended yeah. up teaming up for a comedy, for a, an action film, for a psychological thriller, like that was the selling point, you know. In the same way that I feel like Minority Report was the same thing of just like, fuck, Spielberg and cruz are making a movie I mean, together. That's that, w- that was the biggest. That's the biggest example of it where it's like, wow,
1: like you know. Would that happen now? I mean, Leo is probably the only one. Like, that's about
2: it. But who would it be with?
0: Well, it already was. It was like, it just, Tarantino. Two I think Tarantinos. Leo, I think him in right. One Time in Ohio was that. But yeah. I think that, that, but no one, the problem is no one cares about anything anymore.
1: No. If Cruz had done it. That's what I was going to say. Like, as rumored, that would have maybe been
2: enough. But, like, that's about it. I think Tarantino works with blank is the only thing that potentially has that kind of power. And I think there's the short of other...
0: Maybe. But
2: here's yeah, the thing. Paul Thomas right. Sanderson, I agree, like, we would get excited about, but none of his movies have been crossover mm-hmm. successes. The difference is that Tarantino movies play, like, mm. populist blockbusters. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea of, like, if they announced tomorrow that Denzel was gonna star in the next Tarantino movie, if Cruz was gonna star in the next Tarantino movie, like, there's that very short list of people who, if they were in a Tarantino movie, it would feel like, holy fucking shit. Mm-hmm. In the same way that I think once Upon a Time in Hollywood was largely sold as it's Pitt and DiCaprio together we know you've seen both of these guys separately work with Tarantino yeah. but look two big movie stars but I yeah. feel like anyone outside of that it's like there's certain people maybe but but even just like if if they announced tomorrow that uh, uh Scorsese's next movie was starring Denzel it wouldn't feel as sort of like earth shattering and other than him Scorsese already worked with uh uh you know like Cruise i mean it, you talk about that tier of just mm-hmm. like Cruise Pitt uh Denzel um uh, who's the other Tom one Hanks. I was just thinking of? Hanks, Clooney, you know? Well, it's because what yeah, Tom Clooney.
0: Cruise is the epitome is the best example though, because you're I'm always interested to see what Tom Cruise does. And I'm uh, yeah. and I'm especially interested to see him do something that's not expected. Like anything right. that will give me a more magnolia type. Right, which
1: he stopped doing.
0: I know. Like well, he that's...
1: has that great 15, 20 year run where he's like, I want to work with every big director. And then the last five six years, he's like, I'm going to work with this three directors directors. over and over again. So he said no to
0: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He was offered the part. Did
2: well. I mean, but then I the version of it I heard is that like Tarantino had it set as like my casting options are in pairs. I would need both people to agree to do it. It was Cruz and someone else who I won't name. It was never going to be Cruz and DiCaprio or Cruz and Pitt. Pitt and DiCaprio were a pair, Cruz and someone else was a pair, and there was maybe one other one he had. And it felt like, well, like the Pitt and DiCaprio were both equally on board and available. That worked out. Uh, and Tom but, Cruise w- was
0: going to be Brad Pitt's part. He was going to be the stuntman. I've, I've yes, never he, heard yes. him make that clear, no, but that's. No, the he, made right? he made it clear. He made it clear. Yeah.
1: It was going to be the Cliff Booth or whatever, right? That's what it's called. Right. I mean, that would the, have been fucking thrilling. It would have been cool. I mean, it it would have been very cool.
0: uh, He, I mean. mean, And
1: and Pitt is sensational in that movie. So, but like. Right, he won a fucking Oscar. It says
2: so much that Pitt won an Oscar for it and even still we're like, but imagine how much (laughs) better it would be.
0: What, if Spielberg was going to make a a, a real Spielberg movie now, Mm -hmm. a real one that we could trust and be like, this is like, this is the one that he's been waiting for and he's going to, actually Mm -hmm. draw up, be Spielberg again, and he announced a cast, I would be excited still.
2: I also think part of it is now, like in order to feel bigger than... The blockbusters, these franchises that have been going on forever and ever that are sold on so much more than just who's at the center of them, you know, like characters and storylines and interconnected universes have become bigger than singular stars. And the people who are able to command the biggest paychecks are usually conditional, baked into one role they're so much bigger in this one part or this one franchise than they are outside of it that it's like you do kind of have to stack them up you do have to go it's Pitt and DiCaprio it's Pitt and Clooney and Damon you know it's Roberts and Hanks like
0: and you also get excited by the combination like you want to see them acting against each other not just like having the most movie stars not just like a Marvel movie but being like I'm interested to see how those two actors are work against each other
2: but that's the thing, like, the Spielberg, I feel like the Spielberg announcement would have to be, like, three of those people together. <laughs>
0: and you know? he'd have to promise to that he was not going to use, like, any effect. Like, it would have to be, like, also a commitment right. to another kind of movie that he doesn't make anymore. Well, what?
2: Bridge of Spies. I didn't see it. Yeah. It's, oh, Starling. You Starly. should check out Bridge of Spies. <laughs> you, got, so you gotta walk the bridge.
0: <laughs> Is it yeah, actually good? It's so good. Oh, yeah. it's a massive
2: It's master, good in a real role. way? Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah. One, one of okay. our favorite movies of the last decade. Okay. Yeah. And you know,
1: and he right, he worked with Day Lewis, he worked with Streep, like yep. those were they, they, where it felt like he's checking off. I mean, he made those movies for more than just to check things off, but like, sure. okay, I never worked with Meryl Streep, like let's finally mm-hmm. like collaborate, you know, like stuff like that. But so, it's true that it doesn't have the same buzzy kind of feel. I mean, it's also because these people are getting older. Like, I mean, which is yeah. sort of sad to say, but you know.
0: The sad part, though, is it's sad that they're getting older, but it's more sad that we only allowed an, a limited number of people in. So now we have to, like, be at the mercy of mortals who are aging. Yeah. Like, and then we also allowed things to fall apart in the last 20 years of filmmaking in a way where, like, we could have just kept going. It, we could have been like, okay, you're getting older. That's, that's what happens. But it's, instead it's we like
2: Yeah, I mean, you talk about not letting people in. It's like so few actors have had a chance to become, like, full-fledged movie stars and not just, like— very valuable in this one sort of role, in this one well, yeah. s- narrow genre, you know, or whatever it is. And 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 also, it's partly like, oh, they spend, like, you know, most of their year making this big franchise, so then when they're not doing it, they want to take, like, the third lead on a Netflix show, which does yeah. start to make people feel less special and iconic. Oh, like, totally. I don't mean to be sort of, like, you know, sticking my nose up at TV, but and there are people who are able to like, do both and retain their power in doing both. Like, someone like Viola Davis, it's like, well, she still feels very high status mm-hmm, and, like, mm-hmm. a big, big movie star despite spending, like, seven seasons on an ABC procedural because it was, like, a Viola Davis show. Like, she brought the gravitas to it. And yeah. at this
0: point, an ABC procedural is so much more high status than a Netflix show, most of the Netflix. Yeah. Like, like, I will... She's able to retain... Her prestige in a way that I like Hillary Swank now. I'm just like, whatever, you're just a Netflix. Like, even though that, that I didn't watch all of the way. I only watched like half of the yeah. pilot, but it feels like I no longer trust any of the things that are coming out and it's reducing them in my mind even before I watch the thing.
2: I mean, I think the only two people who have kind of pulled it off. In, in recent history in the last 10 years are Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence to somewhat mixed degrees but like it felt like both of them were like oh fuck they've somehow figured out to be how to be an old-fashioned movie star and they both had franchises but the franchises didn't become the overwhelming thing for them they didn't become like she's just Katniss you know he's just fucking the hangover guy like mm-hmm. they had these hammocks of like very successful series but like both of them also got to do their Marvel movies that didn't feel overpowering where they were supporting characters you know where it didn't like you know but he turned himself into
0: a movie star like he willed himself totally. out of that that's you, a very feel very like, rare yes, instance absolutely
2: you can feel the effort in bradley cooper saying like i am going to be dicaprio i'm going to be a movie star who works with high-tier directors and like is able to make prestige films feel like blockbusters and i'm also going
0: to become the high, the high-tier director
2: right 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 and jennifer lawrence it feels like she went like too much too fast everyone got burnt out on her has taken time off and is now trying to like come back
0: but i think robert pattinson is trying to do what she's doing I just don't know if it's working because his movies aren't seen as much. But I definitely think he is trying to to do that. And he takes very... Old choices.
2: Pattinson's a weird thing because it's like massive franchise then everything he does outside of the franchise bombs. Then he's like let's wipe the slate clean. I want to play weirdos in tiny movies. Yeah. None of those movies are widely seen but people start to build respect for him. Yeah. And then now he's Batman. And the question yeah. <laughs> is like are people going to like him as Batman and after Batman is that going to translate to people wanting to see him do weirdo roles? And is like, he still going to want to do
0: weirdo roles or is he going to have to do Batman be like, this feels that's, pretty good, this that's is pretty the other fun. question
2: yeah. is he is Batman going to become his next Twilight until that ends, and then he goes back to making tiny weirdo roles like the balance is harder to do of making the non franchise stuff feel as important to audiences as whoever the sort of a titular a list franchise character you're playing is I, I last night when I couldn't sleep, I watched. Uh, the the new uh season of the Netflix David Letterman show, which uh, mm-hmm. uh, just came yeah. out. And because he has like, uh, you know, a 45 minute, hour long Robert Downey Jr. episode. And I was uh-huh. just like, yeah, Downey Jr. just doesn't do shit like this anymore. I feel like he's yeah. so protective of his movie star image. The idea of watching him sit down and talk about his life for an hour feels weird. I want to see this. And David Letterman just sort of asked him point blank. He's like, so like, Who are you now? Like, what do you do (laughs) post-Iron Man? Like, at a certain point, you're like... Like everyone's favorite, like, oh, this guy's got all the potential, like young, exciting actor. Then you become dogged with like bad press, you know, sort of like he's the most unstable. Is he going to die? How long is he going to end up in jail sort of dude? They pulls himself up and becomes like the biggest movie star. And then clearly kind of it becomes a gilded cage situation for him where he's terrified of doing anything outside of iron man or anything outside of that budget level and you're like him ending marvel on such a high note where everyone was like you ended it on your terms your last one was this huge fucking triumph in people's eyes and then you make do little and it it fucking sucks dog ass and everyone hates it you know like what do you do now he'd be an exciting one in a tarantino movie he's another one
1: he needs to work with a good director Again, like that's what he needs to do.
2: Yes. If they announced him with any good director tomorrow, it would be thrilling. It would be so exciting. And like he, you know, I mean,
1: Fincher obviously got the he was gonna be in Inherent Vice, which is right, in my opinion, a better movie if he's in it. And I like Inherent Vice. Um, like yeah. here's the thing, here's the thing that has had me thinking about him. I mm. really like the HBO Perry Mason, which he mm. Spearheaded, I threw and was it on.
2: Developed for him, for him. Yes, I threw
1: yeah. it on months after it had finished or whatever. And with the caveat, you sort of are told, like, look, you know, look, as with all these fucking prestige TV shows, it like takes like three episodes to warm it's up. It's a ten-hour
2: pilot, <sighs> yeah. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Which, it, uh-huh.
1: but it is so insanely specific and interested in things that no other TV show is interested in. Like, where it's basically like getting into. All kinds of weird stuff that was going on in L.A. after the Depression or really during the Depression. And it's written by these guys who wrote, you know, for Friday Night Lights, who wrote The Sun, which is the most famous episode of Friday Night Lights. Like, it is just clearly a no bullshit show that he was very invested in. Mm. And I'm like, why isn't he in this? Like I almost yeah. wish this was something he had actually followed through. Like there's obviously some point at which and Matthew Reese is really good, but there's some point at which he's like, Well, that's obviously just gonna be too much. So I'm not gonna do that. Like I'll just produce it.
2: And I wish he had gone whole whole hog. Like I wish he'd can just I, yeah. Can I it throw in, out yeah. my thought and this sort of ties back to like the Harrison Ford thing as well. Yeah. Um I, I, there is this sort of thing when people get to the very, very fucking top of the mountain in Hollywood, not that they have to be number one pole position alone, but when they're in that upper echelon where it feels like people get very protective of like, I never want to lose this. I never want to get dinged from this. So you start to become more sort of like you safeguard yourself from things that feel too risky, whether it's like this project feels too off or I don't want to lose the the veneer of I am a major blockbuster movie star. I don't want to star in something that feels smaller. I don't want to agree to ever take anything below my quote. Where yeah. it's like Harrison Ford would rather be like the the fucking like grumpy old sheriff in Cowboys and Aliens than For be the lead. For $10 million. Right, then be assume. the lead in a movie for two million dollars that's better suited to his talents. Because right, this is like, actually good
1: script. Yes, it
2: it, it this movie is going to make it feel like I'm a bigger deal because they're going to put so much energy into look how much money we paid to have Harrison Ford stand at the side and go like I don't like these aliens, you know? Well, it's interesting because
0: like Harrison Ford's at Harrison Ford's age, you get to the point where you're like, if I make the wrong choice, it's the last movie I ever do because no one will ever put me in a right. movie again. And so there start to be that kind of stakes. At Robert Downey yeah. Jr.'s age, what I don't understand is when you don't have money, you are forced to take jobs for money yes. that you don't yeah. want to do. And you're, the entire yeah. thing you're working towards is, I just want to have enough money so I can say no to this. Like, right. that is the dream. And I, as someone who has never made, you know, real money, I I don't understand why people do things that aren't good <laughs> For money. Yeah. Cause I just cause I've managed right. to live long enough not making any money, but making good things. So it always can conf- so I'm like, you can actually be a person who does this. But they're in the exact opposite situation where they have all the money in the world and they keep saying no to the bad things so that they can yeah. keep getting paid. It just doesn't make any sense to me. That is the freedom that you that you earn from having yeah. money.
2: And and like Ford will take more chances. Downey Jr., I feel like what he's saying when he answers that Letterman question is, I'm trying to decide whether the most important thing for me is retaining the idea that I need to get paid $20 million for a movie. Because if that's the case, I'm going to be making more shit like Doolittle. I hope it's better than Doolittle, but no one's going to pay me $20 million to be in a PTA movie. It has to be movies that seem like they can play just as well with five-year-olds in China, right? They have to be movies that at least have the potential to be that kind of like billion-dollar thing. Versus, do I just give it up? Do I say, I've made ungodly amounts of money, I'm in the annals of blockbuster history for playing this fucking humongous character in this unprecedented blockbuster franchise, do I just go, cool, I'll do anything Fincher wants to do for any amount of money now? I don't need it. Let me right. just be good again. But
0: that's the thing is like, it's not about, he's not giving up money. He's going to have money forever. So no. to me, he's being like, I'm giving up the idea that people see me as Iron Man. If I do the wrong yeah. movie, my legacy is actually my last, what they start to know me as, is a loser instead of a winner. Yes. It's no, it's, it's separate from the money.
2: That is perfectly put. It's also this thing I think of, like, if you get to the top of the mountain, what you start to fight against isn't your rivals, your peers. You're not fighting to get jobs. You're fighting against the idea of what your legacy is. Yeah. Like, you start, I feel like, going, okay, but how am I going to stack up to Gary Cooper? Mm -hmm. Like, when I'm dead, how is my filmography going to get looked at as a whole? And and the, the reality is, like, you know, Harrison Ford if if he died tomorrow, he will always be Han Solo and Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. will always be Iron Man. And they've also given great performances in smaller films and bigger films and what have you. But it's just like, they feel just fucking safe from that. They yeah. shouldn't have to feel like, is there anything I could do in the next decade plus that would ruin my legacy? Because
0: you can't. At ruin. least with Robert Downey Jr., I understand, because he had such a huge career, then it kind of then he went through that rocky period just personally. I could see him being like, Iron Man is my comeback story of overcoming it all and being this strong guy. And if I do another thing past that, they're just going to be like, that guy's washed up. And there's like a psychological yeah. trap that he's made for himself. Because really, what he should be remembered for as much as Iron Man is Chaplin and sure. Lessons and his whole. And there's also a thing that's happened. Harrison Ford is lucky because he has Indiana Jones and Star Wars and Star Wars is going to live on, it's going to outlive everything in terms of memory. But a lot of what I've noticed, one of the strangest parts of, of living through this time is because we don't rent movies anymore and because streaming exists... A lot of movies are lost to time now. When I was little, I could watch yeah. old movies. People don't watch old movies anymore because there's so much new content and you can't rent, you can't find everything. And yeah. so I do think his legacy is being replaced with Iron Man in a way that it shouldn't be. But even then, he's Iron
2: Man. I agree. And 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 I mean, to get back, uh, circle back around, it is the thing as we're going through this that makes Zemeckis feel so interesting to me is just like he seems kind of unconcerned with these questions. As much as I believe that every time he makes a movie, he's hoping it's a big blockbuster hit, he has never made a movie that I think he didn't believe had the potential to be a populist crossover thing. Mm -hmm. You know, even his most bizarre films, he's convinced are going to be like... Because if you make things as weird as fucking Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future and Forrest Gump that become blockbusters, you start to go like, I can will anything into becoming mainstream. That's what the walk
1: is. That's what Marwin is. He's like, this is something that people don't know that they want, but they're going to love it. Uh,
0: Yeah. This is why there should be a job. I often think it should be my job that where we, (laughs) where you get away, where you save the people from themselves. Like he, those, that's a good instinct. Him taking those chances, him making different kinds of films. It's not that. Well, I always forget what that movie's called. What's the terrible, the Steve Pearl one? Mar Mar. Mar Welcome, Marwin. Mar- Mar- yeah, Mar- yeah. So I saw that Christmas Day in the theater. Uh, yeah. So it's not that I don't want him to do that. It's that I want him to let the people sure. in who say that we need to actually talk about your instincts and tell you how to yeah. get I, everything should be like Jerry Maguire, where everything the speech about I know you for the man that you that you could be. Like that's what I feel about these people because they do have to yeah. be saved from themselves. In order to become themselves and be the greatest version of themselves.
2: This is such a fascinating movie through that prism of like, here's three heavy hitters all like at the final stages of their no one questions them status. Mm -hmm. And also the end of Studios being willing to greenlight hundred million dollar movies based on three undeniable people mm-hmm. and wheeling them into becoming blockbusters and, and and as you said Starley, it's like I'd rather see him make a bad movie that's risky yeah than, than agree to do the Flash because he can and he could that's probably that's what I was, right. was going to bring up when yeah. he was
1: considering the Flash I was like it's over man like it's over even yeah. Zemeckis is like fuck it I'll do a DC universe movie like it just it, it like Raimi doing Doctor Strange. No Offense to Raimi, like yeah. I'm excited or whatever. Like, I'll, uh, whatever. I, I'm happy he's making a movie, but it, it does kind of just feel like, okay, all right, they're just like, well, what fun that's thing a can paycheck I do with, yeah, within this, yeah. But
2: yeah. you're also like, it, the bigger bummer is that Raimi has only done one movie out of like the big franchise machinery in the last 20 years it's three yeah. Spider-Man and Oz reboot. You know. And drag me to hell, and mm-hmm. it's like you wish, even if they were disastrous, that Raimi had made a Welcome to Marwin, you know, that Raimi yeah. had yeah. made a flight or whatever. But it's he, like, yeah, then maybe you don't get to make another one. I guess is the fear. I don't. Know. I don't yeah, know. it's oh, all look. the question of right. How do you make sure you don't lose that status? Which is a, a fear that is silly. We got to play the box office game, guys. Yeah, we got it. We got it. We got to get play the box. office Can I just say game? two I mean, things very quickly? Yes one uh, uh after watching the trailer for this movie uh where they reveal uh everything that he had the affair that the ghost is of the woman he had the affair with sleeping <laughs> you know whatever. i i then was reminded the fucking scary movie 2 is so much about what lies beneath and the trailer <laughs> for scary movies 2 that was also the money shot was like someone's having sex with Tim Curry and Anna Ferris, I think. And then he says who and then he leans in and becomes like fucking Marlon Waynes or whatever. He becomes one of the Waynes brothers. Oh, yeah. It's just odd that this film was that culturally like tapped in for one moment. Yeah, that not only yeah. was the film this big, but a parody movie was like getting its fucking shine off of parodying it specifically and then gone. Never talked about again.
0: And again, and, then, and and forgotten, like, I yeah. remember all the twists from every random psychological thriller I ever saw. And this was not like that wasn't clattering right. around my
2: brain. But like a year later, the movie was iconic enough that they were like, this is one of the three major thrillers that we're parodying in this sequel. Um, the other thing I want to say, not a March spotlight, but uh, I, I uh, worked once with a hairdresser. I was making small talk on a set. And uh, was asking her about like things she's worked on, and she told me like, yeah, I always like to like collect things from the things I work on. Whenever they have like set dressing sales or prop sales, I always try to Griff. get little mementos from the film.
1: What have I told this you story have, before? You, you, but so many years ago, but I remember this story. I believe you told it like during the like Star Wars days. I, if it's about the bathtub,
2: yeah, yeah. And yes. I was like, so like, what do you have? And she was like, little things, little things, little things. The bathtub from What Lies Beneath. And I was like, you have the bathtub? From what lies beneath, like I hadn't seen it, and I was like, That's the fucking poster that whole movie's about the bathtub, right? And she was like, Yeah, someone made a massive mistake, they were not supposed to give that to me. I I mean, you you said that they built multiple bathrooms, yeah, Yeah, I guess they had multiple bathtubs, but it's still just insane that she just has that in her house. But
1: doesn't, didn't you tell me like she couldn't even use it? Like yes. that it was not functional? It was right. just Right. It's like a, a
2: freestanding right. clawfoot bathtub. She was like, I can't figure out how to hook it up in my house. It would cost too much money. <laughs> I just have it as decoration in the middle of a room. The bathtub I where mean, Harrison Ford almost murders cool. his wife. It's
0: such an important prop. It's like having the Winnebago in your
2: house from Breaking Bad. It's the titular role. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, box office game.
1: Okay, so, uh, no, it it was, I mean, this is July 21st, 2000. It was obviously number one at the box office. You mentioned Scary Movie 2. Guess what else is in this box office? Scary Movie 1? Yes, it's number four. Just, three weeks, just absolutely, people forget, like, a true sensation. One of the... Biggest R-rated hits of all time, like when it came out,
2: so big that Um, they make the sequel from beginning to end in like six months because they're like we That's what I'm saying. Like that's how quick.
1: Because scary movie two is 2001. Like they turn it around immediately. That's partly probably why it has a what lies beneath. They don't start writing it until January. It comes out in July. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Um. But so all right, what lies beneath is number one. Uh, the movie was a big. It opens to 30 million. It made 300 worldwide. It's a big hit. Yeah. Um, what's number two, Griffin? It's a movie that portends many of the trends we were dismayed about in this episode. Hmm.
2: Is it the movie X-Men?
1: It's X-Men.
0: Number one?
1: Yes. It is the first X-Men, which if you mm. watch it now, feels like a goddamn art movie compared yes. to what followed because yeah. there's not a lot of money on the screen in that no. movie. And it it's has weirdly this very austere. weird... Yeah, and it has this like leather and steel aesthetic. Yeah. That is like just kind of cutesy to look at now. I mean, it's it's mm. not whatever. It's, it's a funny movie. Yeah. Uh, all right. Number three at the box office is a film I saw in an empty movie theater. Hmm. Uh, it's an animated film. It's opening to $20
2: million. Fully animated? Yep. Uh, from 2000. Is it a Disney movie? No.
0: Is it an art, art animated?
2: No. And it's no. not a DreamWorks, is it? No, no. Is it is it an ad, is it like a, a adaptation of something? It's a sequel. It's a sequel. It's a mm-hmm. a two thousands animated sequel that you saw Gar, alone, Gar, but Gar,
0: uh, Garfield kind of
2: no no. <sighs>
1: <sighs> I mean, like not a movie you guys could ever even. I oh mean...
2: <sighs> oh oh! David 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 David. What? I gave myself the biggest clue talking through it. It was an animated sequel from the year 2000. Of course, it has to be Pokemon the Movie 2000. I mean, it's right there in the name. One of the funniest titles ever.
0: Was that, why was the theater empty?
2: Why was it titled that? Why was it
1: titled Pokemon the Movie 2000? Oh, why was the theater empty? I think people were just not that hyped about seeing Pokemon the Movie 2000, I guess. I don't know. I took my brother.
0: Why is it titled that?
2: It it, like, you know, in Japan, it was called like Pokemon 2 or whatever. And then like 99 is Pokemon, the first movie. And then this comes out like nine months later. And there was that trend of putting 2000 in titles. Yeah.
1: But the New York Times review said like it's called Pokemon, the first movie, which feels like a threat. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and like mm-hmm. this is very much like
2: where they're like there's going to be one of these a year guys. And this is the 2001. <laughs> and right, that's then, that's the thing it feels like a model number. It doesn't even feel like a right. sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like this is the 2017 Jetta.
0: <laughs>
1: and then, then there's basically only one more that I think they really mounted a significant yeah. American theatrical release. Like, you know, yeah. the, the that died off pretty fast. But yeah. this one certainly opened big. Yeah. It, you know, it drops off. But like, I mean, this movie made $130 million worldwide. Jeez. Like, it was a hit.
0: How many weeks into it did you see it then for it to be an empty theater?
1: It must. It can't have been opening weekend because surely there would have been people there for that. I don't remember. Uh, I just remember it is an empty theater experience. Mm.
0: Why did you go see it?
1: I like Pokemon. Uh, David loves Pokemon. There you go. I was all in. I was all in. I mean, what am I? I'm 14 years old at this point and I'm still like, Mm
2: -hmm. I'll sneak in the Pokemon movie. Why not? See, and I love uh, uh, Bullshit for Babies, but uh, I I distinctly remember like, Pokemon the movie, the first movie, you know, October ninety nine, all in mega event. By the time Pokemon the movie two thousand comes out, I'm like, I'm over Pokemon. That's which good. is I'm what happened. It's what yeah.
1: happened. That's why by three, it's like, okay, I guess these just go to video. Right, Miramax like, is know, releasing like, it now. Yeah, right, right. Um, number four is scary movie. Number five is another grown up blockbuster that is pretty good. Hmm. Movie for grownups. I mean, it's not like What Lies Beneath. It's a special effects driven, oh. you know, thriller. At, you know, very intense movie. But it is absolutely a movie for grownups. And I, I don't know that it would get made now. I don't know. Maybe it would. Is it, like, is it like a big movie star, big director movie like this? Big movie star. I At the time, a big director. Although he's nearing mm-hmm. the end of his, of his Hollywood dominance or whatever.
0: Is it, like, is it a genre
2: film?
1: Oh, kind oh. Of, it's
2: is it the perfect storm?
1: It's the perfect storm. There we go. Mm. Clooney, Wahlberg, Wolfgang Peterson. I mean, like, what do you call that? It's not really yeah. a genre movie. It's like a based on a bestseller.
0: I don't know if grown-up movies the first description though of it though, because it's it's an action movie, kind of. But it's, it's also not, like it's this a disaster like disaster movie, movie.
2: right? right.
1: Yeah. yeah. Because like it's really just guys on a boat. like what do we do and then they die
0: (laughs) right okay but disaster but disaster comes before grown up
1: sure it's one of the few Clooney movies where he's just like it's not I mean Wolf King Peterson is obviously a major director but he's not a movie star for hire yes yeah yeah. And he's good. Like, you know, he's like, and and I'm sure it was a pain in the ass to make. Like, they're in some fucking tank getting water dumped all over yeah. them for months. Like, it must have sucked.
2: I also think, Starly, like, the, the difference is, like, most disaster movies are, like, here's Tommy Lee Jones, he's gonna fight a volcano, right? It's like, right. here's a big movie star, and you're gonna see them triumph over the odds. And Perfect Storm is, like, a disaster movie based on a true story where everyone knows the ending is bad. <laughs> like, it's not, like, here's right. how these guys survived this. It's not even captured. Captain Phillips, where it's like a story of everyday heroism. It's this weird, like, summer release. The poster is a small fishing boat getting engulfed by a wave. And everyone was like, fuck, yeah, I want to see these guys die. I want to see how these guys grapple with yeah. their mortality.
0: I didn't know they died. And so when really? I saw it, I was devastated. And I still, f- I don't, I found them, I wasn't even that into the movie itself. But I f- I still find the end unbearably sad to, it and is and i can't, it's and so I can't sad. watch it it's intense and i it's so sad i think the ending is the best thing of the the way it's done is really 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 well done and um and i had no idea i did not know they died
2: i've never seen it and that's an ultimate oh, so- uh, no no I, I mean i knew it died i knew they died but yeah, you, uh, yeah, you, uh it, that's the ultimate like me at this age i absolutely will never see that movie that's going to stress me out too much
0: now i probably just so like it. It's so sad. They make it... Yeah, it's good. Because it's also an imagined fate. I mean, we know the fate, but it's, it's imagined last moments. They don't know what the last yeah. moments are. So what he chooses to make the last moments be, I thought was really good. Smart. Fuck, Very now sad. I need
2: to watch Perfect Storm. It's <laughs>
1: not a bad movie. Not a... a bunch of I mean, everything in sweaters. Wet.
0: And again, everything that is made from those kind of movies that, in comparison to the movies that are made now, they all yeah. just seem automatically better.
2: Uh... Starley, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, what what an interesting series of conversations this movie, unhooked, uh, booked. Yeah, it is one of those movies where you have to think about like the entire history of Hollywood films by watching it, <laughs> like what it was coming out of and and how it disappeared and all of that.
0: It's it's a it's a real time capsule, and it really makes you wonder. It just made me think so much about the space of the last 20 years and what happened. Because yeah. this shouldn't have been an ending point, not only not. for these actors, but also not for this type of movie. And it kind of wasn't. a
2: The lack of a healthy, balanced ecosystem in, in yeah. American yes. movie making. Uh, and yeah. unfortunately, I don't think things are going to get uh, better post-pandemic. Um uh, election profit makers continuing past the election. This episode will be coming out past election as well. Uh, but uh, uh, hopefully the show is uh, fun for you to keep doing at that point if you catch my drift. <laughs> I don't want to say <laughs> anything because I don't uh, even want to speak the words. It's a great show. It's a great show. Thank you. That in a, Thank it's you. it's brought show. me
1: much comfort in a, in a time of stress, in an electoral moment
2: of stress.
0: It's replaced the psychological thriller genre. Yes. Yes. It is now providing the comfort that those blunt provided.
2: And if you want to watch a comedy with elements of psychological thriller, uh, watch uh, Search Party, which is on HBO Max, and gives uh, both uh, Starley and I uh, residual payouts. So feel free to watch hey. all three seasons of that show season four coming sometime soon.
0: Less, less now that it's on streaming, but yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, you're also... Truly, I think my favorite part of search party your
2: oh. your performance
0: on it it's, I'm not just saying you. that it's
2: the best uh that's that's my favorite performance I've given, and I've spent uh, yeah. the following years trying to get anyone to hire me to do something like that again uh and instead mm, so people good. just want me to, to fucking drop coffee cups mm. anyway
0: see I need to they just need to ask me what's right and wrong, and I will tell them
2: <sighs> I, the, let's start the, the ingredients campaign are all now. there yeah <laughs> like, uh, just. Dis- Starly kind for Grand Arbiter of Entertainment Industry. It's an elected right, position. Exactly. <laughs> the living tribunal
1: of, of Hollywood. <laughs> yes. Just with two, with like w- scales and she weighs.
2: It's just
0: showing if the stuff already exists being like more like this, less like that of this person's work.
2: Yeah, I also just like talking about all this shit. It's like I'd rather play stuff where it's playing off the fact that I seem non-threatening. You know, and I'm able to subvert that than playing some guy who looks like he's gonna be fucking frazzled.
0: It's it's so subtly done. I I just I'm not, I really do love. I've watched your episode so many times. I remember the conception of your episode. I remember seeing your episode, and it is just. I mean, that, you've been in, you were in several episodes, but the dinner party. I think it. Is, you're you're so great in it. I'm not just saying that.
2: It's, Thank you. That means that means uh, a lot to me. Um, well now I feel weird ending the show but thank you for saying the very nice things (laughs) that you just said Uh, and thank you all for listening and please remember to rate, review, subscribe no, no, no I just don't know how to take compliments Uh, go to blankies.red.com for some real nerdy shit go to patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features uh, where we're watching the alien movies other tense movie starring adults uh, although oh, yeah. uh, uh, films that pretend more the future of uh franchise obsessed filmmaking uh thanks to Montgomery for our theme song joe born pet rounds for our artwork uh and for gudo for our social media and for helping produce the show uh tune in next week for castaway with nia da uh director of uh oh, the upcoming yeah. candy man movie And Captain Marvel, too, agreed to be on our show. So tune in for that next week. I think it's a really fun ep. Um, And as always, uh, Harrison Ford smiles weird.